0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I return with two and a half hours of comic book chit-chat, including a Twitter interview I conducted with the talented and generous Jezeel Lagasse of Menage a 3, a New York Comic-Con report by Graham, Marvel and the terrible, horrible, no-good, very-bad convention. Discussions about the third issues of Metal and Mr. Miracle by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo and Tom King and Mitch Gerards, respectively, and much, much, really, very much more. Comments on this episode are available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. Send us your questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester, Graham McMillan, hello. How are you, sir? I'm on time! Isn't that kind of amazing? That's why you were so surprised, (laughs) right? I was totally on time. I actually was expecting the traditional
1: email where you are like, just a couple of minutes. Yep, yep. Skype updating. Yeah, yep.
0: Catchphrase of the wave blood podcast. Yes, the, the unofficial no one hears it but you catchphrase. Yeah, no, 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 no. I made it a point like, god damn it, I an hour early, I checked Skype, had an update, I a call recorder, had an update, and like, yeah, I'm I'm on this. I'm all over this. So I fully expect our internet connection to basically continuously more from this fucking cat the other
1: thing is the failure in this podcast might be me because I'm still recovering from post-con
0: sickness oh maybe you will actually be vomiting like an intestinally injured cat one can only hope thank god
1: I I think I'm past that point but if you if we did this podcast like two days ago Mm -hmm. my voice would have been two octaves deeper I would have sounded like maybe I had swallowed a cat (laughs) Uh, and I would have stopped every sentence by going oh
0: Sounds kind of sexy. I, I feel like I feel like our listeners really missed <laughs> so out. We were like, oh no, we ruined it. <laughs> so, Graham McMillan, I have one piece of outstanding business before we get going, and when I say out outstanding,
1: outstanding,
0: outstanding, I mean stellar. Well, it kind of is. It's just Aquaman. Anyway. Okay. What what is what is the outstanding business? The outstanding business is so you just came back from New York Comic Con and I we're going to be just come back from New York Comic Con. Yeah, we're going to we're going to be talking about that super shortly. Uh but before we get there, back when you went to San Diego Comic Con, uh, I ended up having a long conversation uh via DMs on Twitter with Giselle Lagasse the uh creator oh and cartoonist from Nasha 3. I know. Yes, who is fucking amazing she is fucking amazing so uh she had heard us talking about her on the previous episode yeah she was she was oh she was like stumbled on an episode of your podcast july 4th where you talk about ma3 for a bit glad you like it if you have any questions in regards to money or why i take on certain projects feel free to ask Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. That's amazingly generous. Isn't it? So, of course, um, I managed to suppress this for basically four and a half months because I'm, I'm just a monkey brain. But I wanted to take the point to uh, uh, to to read you some of the answers when I asked her about oh God, money yes, and stuff please. that she's Yeah. I want to know all of this. All of it, Jeff. Yeah. Okay, well I will, I will read you, I won't read you my boring stuff, I guess, cause I think my stuff is actually pretty boring. But I will read hers. And in case anyone's worried, uh, Giselle, who was not only awesome enough to answer my questions, but at every point was like, yeah, feel free to share this. So, Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: I, I have no idea if Giselle is going to listen to the show. But if
0: you are listening,
1: thank you very much. That's amazingly generous. Yeah,
0: she really is just a, a really awesome. She's an awesome creator and a really generous person. So, She, she says, I've always been pretty open about my money situation for anyone as, who asks, so I don't feel it's a secret by any means. I started with webcomics in 2000. Oh, so at one point you and I were talking about, um, I had mentioned that I felt that she had toned down the nudity because of advertising. Like I'd seen that somewhere. I remember. Exactly. And I got kind of bummed by that. And we were talking about her work on, um, Archie meets the Ramones and, uh, Betty Boop, which, uh, you said you didn't feel it was as strong as the Archie work or the Gem work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's a bit of context for everyone else.
1: Oh no, I, I now feel like she's going to be defensive and I'm going to feel like shit for saying that I didn't really like Betty Boop. No, you is know? That, just, just tell me, is that going to happen? Am mm-hmm. I going to feel really bad?
0: I don't think so. I don't think okay. so at all, honestly. Uh, so, but maybe that's just because She's so disarmingly straightforward in stuff, it really sounds like it's not a big deal. Anyway, so she said, I've always been pretty open about my money situation with anyone who asks, so I don't feel it's a secret by any means. I started with webcomics in 2000, and back then we did a bit of money with ads, but certainly not enough to survive, in my case anyway. Penny Arcade and PvP might have been like the only ones that survived off ads at the time. In late 2007, Wowio came on the scene, and that actually gave me the luxury to quit my job as a graphic designer, uh, which was a standard 40k a year salary at the time. I had enough to last six months, if I couldn't find a way to make money after that, I'd need to return to graphic design. Around spring, I could see that I would need to keep doing graphic design to survive, but as luck would have it, the next comic, webcomic I would start in May 2008, Menager 3, or, uh, sort of exploded right out of the gate. Readers came in droves. For the first time ever, ads were paying enough to allow me to do only this. I wasn't at my 40k a year salary like I used to do, but I was close enough to not have to return to my previous job. With the success of MA3, I thought of starting a new webcomic alongside MA3 would bring those readers over. So I started Eerie Cuties in 2009. I wasn't able to grab all of the readers from MA3, but I did grab enough to add to my yearly salary, and I was now close to what I used to make with my day job. So yeah, with that said, from 2009 and up, I've been lucky enough to make enough from that to be more choosy about what outside work I take on. With that said, I don't go looking for outside work. It generally comes to me on occasion, or I stumble on it somehow. My Archie influence caught the eye of the Archie folks, and I ended up doing a few gigs for them. Betty Boop happened because the editor on it was a friend of mine, and and he asked me to try out. I honestly had no idea if I could pull this off or not, or even if I had any interest in this at all. Her head shape intrigued me enough to try and sketch her once, and from that one sketch, I got the gig. By that time I knew Josie and the Pussycats was being rebooted and I wouldn't be on it. I was frustrated as I thought I'd be a good fit for that project. She would have been an amazing fit. That kills me. Yeah, she would have been really, really
1: fucking great for that. Absolutely.
0: And had been told on the past I'd be on a reboot if it ever happened. Since drawing Betty Boop made me smile, she is a cutie. I took it on to lift up my spirits. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. See, that I like Giselle even more. I feel worse for not liking Betty Boop so much. She is a cutie?
0: Come on. Yeah, really? I mean, that's such a lovely reason. Honestly, I loved working on Betty Boop. I was overworked around the end, but now I look back on that and feel I did the best I could. So in regards to Betty Boop, I didn't take it on for the money. The job didn't pay that well, to be honest. I took it on to make me feel better, and it worked. I was working on Archie Meets the Ramones at the same time. That's another project I took on for fun, not money. However, I will start saying that in 2016, ad revenue started to decrease for everyone. Many people were affected, me included. So by the end of 2016, I won't lie, having that extra money come in didn't hurt as I was making much less than before with Menage 3 It was pure coincidence, though, that I needed the money when it came in. When I took the outside jobs, money wasn't the reason for doing so. Then Jen and the hologram showed up. I was seriously overworked by this point, but still took it on as I knew it was the last arc of the series and wanted to be part of it in some way. I mean, I was in a girl band in my younger days and I connected to this. The Kickstarters to bring in money, uh, the Kickstarters do bring in money, but it costs so much to make all the stuff we fund and shipping all of it is not cheap that I barely make a profit. I may set up a Patreon at one point, but it seems like extra work for me. We'll see. With our last Kickstarter, I funded the creation of issue one of a new project. I'm starting with Ian Boothby. I'm going to try a more traditional approach with it, meaning it won't be a comic webcomic. It might end up being one, but it's not the intent right now. And I, of course, think that Ian Boothby is Fucking phenomenal. So this was great news for me. Uh, I've mentioned him. I and I don't know if you're as familiar with his work ground, but he does. I'm really not. Work like I know he's I've
1: read some of his stuff and I've enjoyed it by be lying up his said, like I searched him out.
0: Yeah, it uh, when I was in the comic store on a regular basis, he had a really good strong run on The Simpsons that yeah. I loved. And I know he's come back to it and and um, uh, as well as did work on Futurama, which never really quite clicked uh, for me as a property. Um, so I never really quite took to it. So I know what you mean. There's times though where I feel like breaking open Hoopla or something and trying to find, you know, trades or check him out of the library or something. Cause I do think he really is. He's, he's pretty genius. Um, so she goes on to say, if other outside jobs show up, I think I have enough financial security to still be a bit choosy. But if I feel the job might be bring more awareness to my work, I might take it on even if I'm not a 100% sure of it. I say this now, but it doesn't mean I'd still do it. When you work like 15-hour days, seven days a week, month after month to crank out this work, you have to love what you're doing to some extent. And in regards to... No, oh, shit. Yeah, Right. Uh, which is just like ooh those hours. Ugh. It's it's one of those things where I forget. I know, but I forget. Like artists in the comic industry, just oh. And in regards to Menage Three and the whole censoring issue because of advertisers not liking the female nipple, it's always been an issue. MA3 has been banned left and right by advertisers since the very beginning. We've changed ad providers so many times it's crazy. However, each time we lose one, it takes a while for us to grab another, so we can go one to two months without money because of the switch. In 2015, the guy who helps with this just bluntly told me, I think MA3 has been banned by almost every advertising publisher out there. I don't know what to do anymore. So I decided to stop showing the female nipple in the hope some ad publishers will let us back in or tolerate us on the pages that have no nipples. So that's how the site works now. Any page that has nudity on it doesn't generate money. So when I show nipples, I know I'm not making a cent off this. So yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. We now don't show it unless we have absolutely no choice. I did go in and tweak a bunch of strips for the printed book though. So in print, the female nipple is there in all its glory. <laughs> And, uh, I asked her about, uh, adult advertising, like something like Ojoy oh Sex Toy, which is interesting because when we had this conversation, Ojoy oh Sex Toy was still had adult ads on the site. Yes. And as you know, yes. that's not the case because it's being funded by, is it Planned Parenthood?
1: There? It's Planned Parenthood and, uh, whoever makes the magic wand. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like it's a partnership. It's, it's, it's a, like the two, partner to specifically to, to sponsor Ojoy Sex Toy.
0: Right, because Ojoy Sex Toy is it, uh, being used as, uh, as you know, Graham, but for people who don't know because they don't check out the site despite us talking about it from time to time very positively, um, it's really become like a sex ed site that uh, providers in like places like Planned Parenthood, you know, send um, their, uh, clients to, to be able to learn a lot of stuff about, you know, whether it's STIs or about, um, you know, different forms of sexuality, or it's kind of awesome that it's really transitioned over to this fully educational site, you know?
1: It is kind of an amazing resource if you think about it, because Erica and Matt and, and their Guest cartoonists mm-hmm. have covered so many topics at this point. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, it,
1: it's, it's kind of staggering when you look back at the catalog that they have over mm-hmm. there now. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it's, the collections are enormous. So, uh, anyway, so I asked, uh, Giselle at the time, cause, about, uh, adverti- more adult advertising. Um, and she said, my main ad- issue with adult advertising is it then brings MA3 to another level. We showed female nipples, as for us, it's not that adult. For French Canadians and for the Franco-Belgian BD crowd in Japan, showing nipples for ages 11 up is totally fine. You'll even see billboard signs with nipples on them, and no one blinks an eye. In the state, though, female nipple, ban, ban! So if we allow – which sounds like an awesome uh uh Shonen Knife song. So if we allow adult advertising, we'll then start seeing genitals in the ads, and we've never shown any in the comic. What that will lead to is readers forcing me to go more hardcore than I care to go. Not sure if that makes sense, but that's sort of what I see happening if I let one thing slide. Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, it 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 actually totally makes sense to me.
0: Yeah. I think so too. Like, when you put it that way, I'm like, oh, okay, because I – anyway – uh, and then I asked about – because she co-writes Menage 3 with uh, Dave Latigue. And she says, I like working with Dave, but I felt working with Ian would bring something new out of me. When I write with Dave, we have this formula that we both follow. We can basically copy each other when writing, which is good as we blend quite well, however – that can lead to us to, uh, lead to us repeating ourselves. I think that working with Ian will take me a bit out of my comfort zone, and like you said, he's a funny guy. So I'll still be working with funny material, and that's generally my preference. I'll always work on creator-owned stuff, but I'm still debating on what's the best way to deliver it. From 20, 2008 to 2015, web comics were the way to go. It made the most sense for me, but I'm not sure today. It might be a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'll be experimenting. Uh Menage 3 will more than likely end with volume ten uh or volume twelve at the most. I'm already almost done with volume nine, so the end is near. Now when I say end, I may end uh how things have worked up till now. We may decide to do one shots or spin offs or whatnot, but that's still up in the air. Um MA3 is simply coming to its logical end. I have an idea in mind of how I want to end so that it leaves the doors open enough to possibly do something else in the world. But this idea could change the closer we get to the finale. Something that feels logical now may not seem that, uh, may not seem that logical the closer we get to it. And that's, that's my little mini interview with Giselle Lagasse, who's awesome.
1: Which is, is wonderful. Like, that's, I'm fascinated. Part of me, it's funny, you you mentioned OJ Sex, I'm so part of me. Is like, I wonder if Limerence would do something with Giselle.
0: If, uh. If, Limerence,
1: uh, Oni's erotic imprint.
0: Oh, yeah, I would, I would kind of hope so. The thing that I think is interesting is, is, and this makes a lot of sense, is that Menagerie 3 is very much a, it's a very sex-positive comic, um, and, but it's, I mean, it's really almost a little bit like Three's Company with nipples when she says it that way.
1: And so... Well, I mean, that's just it. It's... I, I, And this is not... This feels like I'm misrepresenting the comic, but I'll try and explain. Mm -hmm. It feels very much like, an, for me, an old school farce. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In that it's a sort of risqué comedy more than it is a sex comic.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Right. It's risqué. It's just... It's at... You know, 2017 levels of risque, you know, so that means that I think does mean that it seems a little more explicit to an old fart like me, but actually one of the things that I like is kind of just, it's, it's sort of positioned precisely right. It, the focus is very much on the story, um, and, and things sort of, and the characters, it all plays out really well. It's something that I enjoy a lot um so so in that sense yeah i don't know it, it it's it's so funny because i think that the material that she has is so perfect and she does a, they do she does a great job dave latigue does a great job co-writing the strip with her um but but it's also kind of that weird like i i kind of see what she's saying in a way yeah i think if it was a little more explicit it might be easier for her in some ways you know, but it would also be
1: a very different
0: comic. Well, see, and that's it. And I think she wants it to be what it is, which I really, um you know, I which I really appreciate it for. So I mm-hmm. think that it's, yeah. it was interesting to me. I never really considered the idea, which really sort of seemed pretty obvious when she said it, the idea. And I'm not sure, even reading it, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with the idea of, like, just because you have adult ads, you have to have – um you have to make your strip hardcore. I do think that well, unfortunately, if you have adult ads, you basically chase off the people that are more comfortable with a lower level of stuff. You know what I mean like i
1: yeah i that's that's what I took from it more. not that that Dave and Giselle would feel compelled to do that as much as the fans would demand it, or the readers would demand it because I think there's a level of well, if you're willing to show that in your ads. Mm. Then, then you should be willing to show that in the work, right? You know, I think it does. I, I, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I can actually follow her logic. I'm not sure if I agree per se, right. but at the same time, she's been doing this for years. Like she knows her shit. Yeah, if that's absolutely. That I, I, mm-hmm. you know,
0: my tendency is to go, okay, sure. Yeah, exactly. Same, I, and and I feel the same. So, and she also does have a, um, you know, I didn't, I don't really spend a lot of time on it, but there, I know that Minajo 3 is supported by, it's got, used to have a, a, you know, chat forum, you know, sort of bulletin board type thing that uh, when I flipped through seemed like had a lot of very supportive people, but also, you know, your usual typical kind of internet grumbly complainers and that, it, to the extent that that community is there, it might have changed that dynamic in a way that she, she clearly, she clearly felt so and didn't want to do mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's anyway. So that's that, that is, that is the thing. I'm very excited by what she ends up doing with Boothby. And it was really interesting hearing her talk about these, these other projects. So.
1: I, and very interesting for me. And this might just be me being like, you know, this is my weird, you know, fascination. Uh, very interesting for me to, talking, to hear her talking about It m- won't be a webcomic mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know, that that's, that I should go somewhere else Because you look at someone like John Allison
2: mm-hmm. Who
1: it feels to me has moved from like Predominantly a webcomic creator
2: mm-hmm.
1: To someone who does giant days and print projects And also has a webcomic now
0: Right. Or Ryan North for Ryan North is exactly what I thought no. of when you said that, yeah
1: uh and I I think there is it it's interesting because, you know, the the alternative is also you could look at uh Eric Amon, mm-hmm. you know, or Dylan McConnus, who are still making a living doing webcomic work. Yeah. Uh but even there they have found different models.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like Ojo has a print component that is really important to it. Mm-hmm. I think I think the print Editions are a very strong part of what keeps Old Joysex Eye profitable,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and as a, and and working as an ongoing concern, or or with with uh, Dylan, you know, she freelances on top of doing Family Man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So you have these people looking elsewhere to make the ends meet. So yeah, it, it's it'll be interesting to see where Giselle goes. It's also very interesting to, me to wonder. Where the print publisher, uh, where the print publication might end up. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, could it be an Oni? Could it be a, a, you know, a boom?
0: Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, my hope is that they figure out a way to. I guess, I guess, in a perfect world, I think Oni would be great because they get to keep so much of the rights. And I well, guess Boom under I, Boombox does as well. You know. Did, but... did I? Have... The last time we, I'm, I'm honestly like, I'm having
1: trouble remembering dates now. Mm-hmm. Uh The last time we had recorded a WaitBot, I'd definitely spoken with Charlie from Oni mm-hmm. for the THR interview. But I don't think the interview had run yet because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think it ran like the week of, of New York. Um But so Charlie Chu used to be the senior editor. Oni is now the uh, VP of creative slash business development. A title even he is like, it's a mouthful, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, <laughs> um, but basically he's in charge of finding new ways to make Oni and the creators money based on existing properties.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that means TVs and movies, but it also means the board game stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, stuff like the Kajimax plush toys. Ah, wow. Uh, uh and, and basically anything that isn't the actual comic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? And when I talked to him about it, one of the things that he was really forceful isn't the right word, because that sounds like he's really trying to ram it down my throat. And that's not what I mean. Like he he was insistent on on saying from his point of view, Mm -hmm. what he's doing is trying to come up with a way to help the creator make the comic
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) because, you know, they're, the more money they make off work that they are already doing, or have already done, right? The more able they are to continue making work.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so he he said on a, a number of occasions during a conversation that it's it's in his mind creator supportive more than publisher supportive. Mm-hmm. That you know he he goes to these things with uh you know not only. Let's get Oni's name out there and let's make the best movie based on, you know, X property.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But also, what is the best deal for the creators involved?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not just financially, but also so that they get a say in the final product.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's, you know, hearing stuff like that that makes you go, oh yeah, Oni are actually doing the right.
0: <laughs> well, let's hope so. They're certainly making the right mouth noises, but I the mean. They're right, the
1: right noises, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how everything ends up. Because he's he's literally been in this position since shit the end of August, mm-hmm. I think maybe like the middle of August. Um, but yeah, he he specifically is looking at it as uh, his job is really to facilitate helping creators out, mm-hmm.
0: which is kind of what you need and Oni to do if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, definitely. No, I well, and I mean that's it. In a perfect world, you actually do get the you know, the helping hand, um, that, that creators need, you know, it's just, it's hard because that there is, there's so much, uh, the metrics, the metrics of publishing, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, is, as you know, it, it leads, it leads to lots of, um, odd or tough situations, you know, so, um. Uh, so perhaps in that, with that clumsy segue for me, uh New York Comic Con, uh, any news? That, that happened. You... Yeah, the, so that so that was the thing, as they say. What what? uh
1: That that was. Uh, I've got to tell you, during all of New York Comic Con, probably the conversation I had most with everyone mm-hmm. was: wow. "This is a really <laughs> weird show, right?" Hmm. That's... Because everyone seemed to think it was, unless they were working for a publisher and they hadn't left the booth. Mm. The only people who had been like, "No, nah, it, it feels like a normal show," were like people who had literally were like, "Yeah, I, maybe I leave the booth to go to the bathroom or to get food, but that's it." Right. Anyone doing wandering was like, "It's a really weird show."
0: Hmm. And it, 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 how?
1: Um, I have not yet put my finger on it. Uh huh. Um, a lot of it is—it was very busy, and mm-hmm. people have been saying this online this week they sold twenty thousand tickets for mm-hmm. the weekend. The Javits was smaller because it's under reconstruction.
0: Oh, right, that's right. So
1: they moved a lot of things around. So literally, mm-hmm. there's there's more people in a smaller space. Right. Um, and that you could feel that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like I do, San Diego every year. And this is the first time I felt overwhelmed by the amount of people around me. Mm,
0: that's interesting, because... Like, I, I, I'm just... overwhelmed. I, I only did NYCC once, I guess, and that was back in its, um, you know, full glory state, you know, complete with, uh, you know, hike through this underground alley for, like, half a mile, and you'll exit near the anime screening rooms size type thing. And... It got so jammed, uh, on like Saturday afternoon. I remember doing a round on the convention floor and it was just nose to neck, you know, foot traffic, you know, it was, well, it, well, but it, here's it, the thing. Yeah. It felt like that on Thursday, Jeff. Ooh, oof. Okay. Then yeah, that's, that is amazing and kind of terrifying. And like
1: on, on Saturday, it there were literally places on the show floor where you could not move, mm. Mm,
2: mm, mm.
0: you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's bad. Well, you know, I have to say, I definitely think there is something, and and this is again someone who was there, like I don't know what the hell it was, like five years ago. NYCC was in contrast to some of the San Diego's that I saw, be, the it it needed um cosplay selfie pull-out lanes. You know what I mean? Oh, yes, very much. So NYCC needed,
1: and and this year especially, needed someone to step in and go, there are certain things you can't do in places. And part of that is you can't stop and get your picture taken everywhere.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Because, so in order to get in, you literally had to pass through a metal detector and then have your badge scanned and have your bike looked through. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's fairly extensive anyway. And don't get me wrong. I'm really glad mm-hmm. because it, in all seriousness, with everything that's been happening in the world, I was genuinely fearful that there was going to be a shooting at JFK mm-hmm. or at the convention.
0: Me too. Especially like, cause it was so soon after the Las Vegas shooting.
1: It, it, yeah. It was within a week. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah i 'm not complaining that they have the bike search, they have the metal detectors, not at all. however, do not stop immediately after that so that people can take a photograph right yeah, and people were doing that the entire four days
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that 's a terrible idea, and the idea that no one came along and said you can 't do that here yeah. is nuts to me, yeah. because all it did was make the lines worse. Um, and also, there are people who have costumes that are amazing but are also you know the size of an aisle, yes, yeah, absolutely and maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't let them go on the show floor in certain aisles, yep, 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 yeah, no, totally, you know, mm-hmm. so things like that were really um like really uh overwhelming in a way that they just aren't in San diego there was in order to get to the press area you had to go up a level and the second level was the sci-fi legacy like and sci-fi network. Um, like their fan area because this is their new thing now. They're like, we're all about fans. Right. Like here you can hang out bean beanbags thanks to sci-fi. You can get a screen printed t-shirt thanks to sci-fi. You can get popcorn thanks to sci-fi. And all they really did was create amazing lines mm-hmm. that you had to get through in order to get to the press area. Mm. Which again... You know when you spend so much of your weekend just feeling like you're fighting your way through crowds. Oh yeah, yeah. It it gets exhausting, exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was a so I I think a lot of people felt that. I think when a lot of people were saying it's a weird show, there was that. Um, the hours of NYCC always kind of throw me because uh, I always feel that like San Diego finishes for me around seven, mm-hmm. and maybe it was a party or something afterwards. But the show was done by seven, right? Uh, or a new comic-con the show is done by like nine Mm. and those two hours actually make a difference Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's like you're then doing something afterwards right you know um so there was also that level of just like there just seems more of it like it feels busier and there's more of it and Mm -hmm. it feels it's just like wow this feels like a super um like a super size con Mm -hmm,
2: mm
1: -hmm. Uh, and then on top of that there were simultaneously no news and also by which I mean like no real announcements
2: mm-hmm.
1: and also like the biggest news of all, which is Marvel having a terrible show.
0: Mm. Yeah. 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 Like that, that's
2: amazing.
1: A, like a terrible show. Mm-hmm. And, and me trying to talk to Marvel people about that was fucking
0: fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Before you talk about that part, do you want to fill people in in case they missed, missed what happened?
1: Okay, before the show itself, the week of the show, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Marvel and Netflix pull the Punisher TV panel, Mm -hmm. uh, officially out of respect for the victims of the Las Vegas shooting. The day before the show starts, the first wave of Marvel lenticular covers for Legacy come out, and it becomes very obvious that the lenticular covers don't work. Mm -hmm. Um... And there are, there are reasons for this. Someone tried to explain to me. And, and apparently it apparently comes down to the paper weight that that Marvel published on paper that's too thin. Mm-hmm. And so the killer doesn't sit properly. Mm-hmm. And so the images commingle as opposed to switch. Mm-hmm. I, again, person who explained this might be wrong. But that, that was the way it was explained to me. Not by a Marvel person, I should add. Mm-hmm first day of the the convention proper, there is a retailer breakfast meeting that Marvel has with retailers. That goes poorly, mm-hmm. shall we say. Uh, the short version is retailers tell Marvel that the lenticulars don't work, and by the way, a couple of retailers say nobody wants to buy your comics because you're, you've replaced all your heroes with women and people of of color. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants those people. Mm-hmm. Then turns into a shoot, a shouting match, a three way shouting match between like these retailers, the other retailers saying that's not true,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Marvel people basically saying, I think you'll find that every, like Marvel is for everyone. Mm-hmm. It comes, I would say it comes to head, but it doesn't because they shut the panel down. Mm-hmm. The panel literally runs out of time in the middle of this argument. Mm-hmm. And, Essentially the argument continues outside. <laughs> with, with Marvel people being, uh, harangued is maybe a bit strong. Mm-hmm. Definitely retailers who said are making their case to Marvel people outside.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then throughout the Marvel, throughout the convention, uh, Marvel panels are, and I sat in on a few, are, um amazingly dour affairs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like there's no excitement. And when I say there's no excitement, there's no excitement from the creators as well as the fans. mm mm-hmm. Everyone just seems like they're there because they have to be there on both sides, which is really strange. Uh Marvel's specs Best Thing panel, which is normally a panel where they make announcements,
2: mm-hmm. was
1: literally the creators going over what has already been solicited for the legacy issues. hmm which is super weird to see. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, and as you've already seen, Warlock is coming back three months from now in Guardians of the Galaxy. And the audience just doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. Because they have already seen it.
0: Right, of course. They're here for the next thing. You know? They want to know the new thing. I- they want to know the, the spoilers, the next spoilers. Right? Yeah.
1: So so that's happening. Uh, something that hasn't really been reported on but added to all of this is Marvel has hired private security for its panels. Oh wow. Um, this is to do with something that's not Marvel centric, but we talked about the diversity in comics crowds, mm-hmm. you know, the ironically named cause really it's the right trolls. Yes. Multiple publishers had had threats to creators, uh, at the convention. Wow. Um, I, I I'm not going to name names, but some publishers had wanted to pull panels or creators from panels Mm -hmm. in order to save Marvel's response was we're just going to add more security
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but it turns into a super weird thing where you're at a panel where no one's excited and you can literally see guys go up and down the aisles (laughs) checking repeatedly and they're wearing like big name badges you just say Marvel (laughs) Jesus, and you're like this is fucking surreal Mm. then on Friday, Marvel announces a partnership with Northrop Grumman. Yeah. Hey. That's that ironically turned into the biggest news of the show.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Because
1: uh, say people weren't excited.
0: Oh, yeah. And and for people who aren't following this who don't know Northrop Gr- Grumman is a is a huge defense contractor. So, yes. yes.
1: Um and and um One of the problems is, so so Marvel announced this on the Friday and said, come to our booth on Saturday, we're going to have a presentation, we're going to, it was called an activation, because of course it's called an activation, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're like, we're going to have a comic called Marvel and, shit, it's called Marvel and the End Stems or something like that? Yeah, I
0: think the End Stems sounds right. Um,
1: But they released a digital version of this first, Mm -hmm. on Friday, and part of the comic Included advertisements about this partnership. And the partnership was officially meant to promote STEM. Mm -hmm. The problem being, the comic outright said, Northrop Grumman is the real-life Stark Enterprises. Mm -hmm. And, Jeff, you and I know that it's the Stark Enterprises before Tony Stark gave up weapons manufacturing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's literally the... Before Tony Stark became a superhero, Stark Enterprises, yep. which many people called them on on social media, um, it was hugely unpopular,
2: mm-hmm.
1: this partnership. So much so that within 14 hours of Marvel's announcement and more than 12 hours before the event officially launched it, Marvel announced the whole thing was dead. Mm-hmm. At like 12.46 in the morning, wow! they sent out a tweet saying the event is cancelled. Mm-hmm. Jeff, you're a straightforward, sensible human being. What would your common sense read in this situation be?
0: Uh in what regard, the idea would be that they saw the negative publicity, got cold feet and decided that the best way to try and save some face was to pull the plug on things. Right. You you think that's fair? Yeah. So I go and talk to a Marvel person. And it was
1: uh one of those conversations where you have three levels. You have on the record I can name you. Mm-hmm. You have off the record I can use what you say but I can't name you, and you have entirely off the record. Right. Okay. I'm not going to tell you the entirely off the record, because guess what? That's entirely off the record. (laughs) However, the off the record, but I can use as sources say, Mm -hmm. told me face-to-face two things. One, there was no conflict at the retailer breakfast. That was fake news. Two, that Marvel saw... What had happened with Northrop Grumman as a win for them, because it showed how quickly they could
0: respond to find response. That those two things are the most insane things that I've ever heard. I mean, yes, that's,
1: yes, they are. That's, that's like, like, I, I, like uh, Jeff. Let me tell you, the off-the-record,
0: off-the-record is worse. Oh my God! Well, see, that's the crazy thing. Why would you? Why would you just want to tell a bald-faced lie? Off the record, record, and God only knows what your off-the-record, off-the-record stories are, but Jesus, if the the off-the-record version is just flat outright lie spin, I'm, 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 I'm stunned. I'm literally just flabbergasted.
1: So was I. I mean, I'm not joking. I have, I have done, you know, I have been spun before. Mm -hmm. I have never been spun so clumsily. And I've never been, like, outright face to face lied to. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where I was, I, to the point where honestly
0: I was, I walked away. Yeah, I get it.
1: <laughs> Cause I was like, okay,
0: there's no point to this conversation. No, I, right, there's a little bit of the no need to ever talk to you again kind of thing on top of that. Like, genuine, like, genuinely,
1: like, <sighs> wow. Yeah. Let me tell you other things I found out mm-hmm. are in the same time because I was looking into this. Mm-hmm. There's video of the Retailer Breakfast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of course there is. People have cell phones. Yeah. So if you're going to say it didn't happen, maybe you should check that no one fucking videoed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thing number two. Marvel might want to spin what happened as we're so responsive to fan response. But that would be better if it wasn't for the fact that I know that creators threatened to quit over this. Mm-hmm. This wasn't fan response. This was stopping their own staff walking away. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was, that was Marvel's weekend. Wow. Oh, and the other thing was the biggest publishing announcement that came from a Marvel property didn't come from Marvel.
0: <laughs> I missed there that.
1: There's going to be a big Hero 6 comic. You know remember there was a film yeah like Bion or six comic it's coming from idW oh
0: wow well wow
1: right mm-hmm Jesus. yes but Marvel did have a publishing announcement they're publishing starboy by the weekend <laughs> here's here's what makes this particularly funny one. It's one of the few things that Marvel actually announced at the show two I am old and do not like I know the weekend exists, but you know that's the extent of it right. That was the second conversation I'd had about Starboy that weekend because the first conversation was another publisher telling me that Starboy had tried to get in con- uh, a weekend to try to get in contact with them earlier to get them to publish a Starboy comic and they turned it down. Wow, wow. I- and they did, like, the person who told me that didn't even know that there was going to be a Marvel announcement. <sighs> they were like, crazy, everyone's trying to get into comics. <laughs> that was the basis of their conversations. They weren't bad-mouthing Marvel at all.
0: Wow. Jesus. Wow. That's... And
1: then they, like, this comes up and I'm like, oh, so Marvel's literally going for, like, second second choice projects.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jesus, Lord. Yeah, so not a good show for Marvel. Um And it really should have been, Right you would think like like legacy just
1: launched
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's their fucking hometown show right you would think they would have a presence
2: mm-hmm.
1: no like it, it's it's a it was just i can't believe it went so poorly mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm genuinely stunned but then also not stunned did you hear what joe casada said about the uh, Northrop
0: grumman thing uh, He did, but it was so forgettable I literally forgot.
1: He basically said he didn't know about it until it was announced. Right,
0: which sounds impossible to me. That itself was also this other what? level of... Here, here's... But here's the thing. I think it is possible.
1: Because A, I don't think Joku really pays any fucking attention to what's going on at Marvel.
0: Sure, yeah. And
1: the, that partnership was through Marvel Creative Solutions.
0: Yeah, okay. So here's, that, here's, here's my like, thing, Graham. Okay. Oh, yeah. it, cause, cause I mean, on the one hand, yes, I see that and I'm, I'm aware of that. As someone who has, uh, downloaded, uh, like Marvel meets Pirates' booty in the adventure of the pirates' booty, or oh sure, like, I'd like
1: Mar- Marvel and, and Harley Davidson, which I always like to bring up because it's much better than it should be because it's written by Jeff Parker.
0: Well, see, that's it. Every once in a <laughs> while, you get you get Parker in there, and and Parker's like a is like a solid name, but like as I recall, isn't isn't the uh, the the Northrop Grumman comic it was it's Fabian Nicieza right and yeah. like. Was it Sean Chen who was doing the art or was it? Yep. So, I mean, those are, those are big names and all due respect to, to Jeff Parker. But I mean, like uh, Sean Chen, Sean Chen's a big name and Fabian Nasizia is the sort of guy that I personally, I would be kind of surprised if he and Joe Kazada are not.
1: Um, oh, no, I, no, I, I, I honestly think that Joku would not pay any. Oh, can I tell you about the Joku panel? Which is not really ragging on Marvel, but just like was one of the most surreal panel experiences of my life. Oh, sure. So Joku is, does his Cup of Joe on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And the the listing was like, it's going to blow your minds. Seating is limited. Get here early. And Marvel keeps starts putting out messages going, there's going to be a special guest. This is a whole new type of panel. Special guest. Really big news. You have to fucking be there. And Marvel people are like, we 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 can't tell you what it is. <laughs> so like me and, and and another couple of journalists are like, well, we've got to be there because like it could be a thing. Mm-hmm. Like this this could really be a thing. So we get there and we get there early and the line is like non-existent mm-hmm. and it's like, well, you know, that's fine. Um, we go in and Joku is like, uh, you guys. I'm switching it all up. Uh I'm I'm going to be interviewing people from now on. I'm not going to be talking about Marvel. I'm not going to be talking about myself. I'm going to be interviewing people, but I really want to get in deep with this. And so I've I've spent so long talking to this person's family, their friends, and I really want to talk about their craft. I want to you know Jesus. do the the interviews that, that people don't normally do. I, it's really important. This to me is to so bad, oh, right? Jesus. So he he like really builds it up. Yeah. And Ember's like, f- like, who the fuck is it going to be? And he goes, it's the guy who plays Daredevil on Netflix. <laughs> and Charlie Cox comes out, and Ember's like, oh, Charlie Cox, apart from me, going, really? Like this, you couldn't say this guy's name? This is insane. Because, like, the room isn't full. Right. And don't get me wrong, it's in a big room, but mm-hmm. it's in the same size room as the Judge Dread panel, and the Judge Dread panel was more full than Cure's panel. Mm-hmm. That they would be seriously happy. Mm-hmm. Okay? What do you think Joe Q's questions to Charlie Cox are like? Like this. I'll give you two I'll give you two real examples. Please. But what do you, like what do you think they're like? Just try and guess.
0: Um okay, one is well, actually the two questions I think that I'd ask Charlie Cox is like, how much do you need to get waxed? Because um, it looks my wife and I both speculated that you're a hairy dude who needs to get waxed a lot for the show. Uh and um how much do you have to work out to stay in the sort of shape that you're in when you do the show?
1: No. No. See here's the thing. Even those would be more interesting the he asked. Oh no way. Here here are two questions I swear to God he asked. Bear in mind he started this panel with a five minute preamble about how he was going to suck at crap. Crack and and the family. Friends Mm -hmm. and family, okay? Right. Number one. I hear you're a soccer fan. Number two, <laughs> you've just had a baby recently. How are you enjoying those early mornings? Wow! I shoot you, not Jeff. <sighs> when he did the baby one, that was when I was like, "I'm leaving."
0: Yeah, you're just like, "Stop wasting my time." There is no point what? to this. Oh Jesus! I it was like, was, <laughs> in because. I think Joe
1: actually believed his own hype. I think he was like, No one's ever done an interview like this And on one hand they haven't because no one would ask someone's main question. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And you could see Charlie Cox be like, How am I going to try and make this entertaining for the people who are watching?
2: Mm-hmm. hmm
1: Cause he knew how bad it was. He you could see it in his face. He he knew how bad this that was going. Oh, it also started with Joe Kazada coming out with an iPad going, the printer in my hotel didn't work, so I couldn't print up my questions. I've got an iPad.
0: (laughs) Oh man. Oh, that hurts so much. Wow. Wow. That sounds like a truly painful experience. Yeah.
1: I mean, really, you can't imagine, like you can't imagine things like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it really was one of those, this this is and again things like that added to like the surreality of the show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we're like, is this a real panel? <laughs> is this actually a thing that's happening? <laughs> I I can't believe like they thought people would want to see this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, um, there were good panels. The milestone panel was great. Uh, one of the surrealist things about the milestone panel was they played like ten minutes of uh, Robert Kirkman's. Uh, like, he's doing an, a documentary series for AMC about the history of comics. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And they played, like, ten minutes of his episode about Milestone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I could have watched the rest of the fucking episode right there and then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I was, this is really good. This is, like, really good, interesting shit.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Um. Yeah, so I don't know what the rest of the series is going to be like, but the Milestone episode was amazingly good. Wow. Like, they showed ten minutes, and it was great. Because there really was people being... Uh, up front.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like Derek Dingle basically going, yeah, the only reason I was involved with the milestone was because I owned a suit. He's <laughs> like, they were all creative guys. I was the guy who could do math. That's the only reason I was involved. <laughs> wow. You know, because, like, Dennis Cowan being like, yeah, he owned a suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and also, like, the milestone announcements are great, although hilariously... <laughs> Um, I'm not really telling tales out of school, but Evan Narcisse and I met up that night.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he and I were both, like really big milestone fans. Mm-hmm. And the two of us were like, I'm not sure about Reginald Hudlund writing all the books. Yeah. Like he's over himself. Like he should not be writing all the books. Because he is. He's involved in one way or another with every single one of the five books they announced. Jeez. Which is nuts. Mm. Um, but you know, there's, there's, they they've, they've I'm I'm super excited to see like Static back with Kyle Baker drawing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Uh Zombie back with Greg Pak with and and switching the the uh, concept.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't I realize. Really, uh,
1: so do you remember Zombie, the original Zombie, mm-hmm. the the and the origin is uh God, I can't remember the guy's name. Whatever the the main character's name is, uh, his his nanotechnology basically eats his lab partner. Mm-hmm. In order to, to, to give, to stop him dying.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So then the new thing is basically her brain is now in his body as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, one of the things he has to deal with is like, uh, okay, now I guess I have someone else's brain in here. And she will also be like, I, I want your body. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I have to die?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why
1: you know Like, your body belongs to me now. Uh, so that, you know, that's, that's, I, I can't remember who they said was going to draw that, but, um, but, you know, that, that looks good. Uh, the,
0: the Alice Randall book looks super interesting.
1: Yeah. They just, they're, they're, they're doing interesting things.
0: Well, um, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Cause this is the classic. Like I haven't been following much, but isn't there a thing? There's some controversy too, right? Like isn't there a whole, like, Dwayne McDuffie's... Oh,
1: my, my, yeah. Milestone is being sued by Dwayne McDuffie's widow, and unsurprisingly, that wasn't mentioned at the panel. Yeah, I wouldn't think that it would be. Yeah, Milestone is being sued by Dwayne McDuffie's widow. Okay. Um, for and I could be misremembering this. Both she says that she didn't get the she doesn't get the the money owed to her mm-hmm. by the new by the thing, but also that she is essentially cut out
0: of the decision making process. Right. That, that despite the agreement, they, like the, the rest of the owners, like reconfigured some sort of like, a limited liability partnership yeah, or corporation I, I, I want, or something. I say, yeah. I want
1: to say there's something like really shonky. Like yeah. they're like world, we milestone two. Right. So it's a different company. Yeah. yeah. It's something, it's something like that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was really interesting at the panel was, um, they talk about the founding, obviously. Mm-hmm. and they it's not that they skipped over Dwayne mm-hmm. but it definitely felt that they weren't giving him the credit he deserved that's not the case in the, the Kirkman documentary mm-hmm. I should say they make a point of of of, of saying how integral Dwayne is um, to the formation of Milestone in the documentary but on the panel itself mm-hmm. It was definitely weighted much more towards uh, Michael Davis, Dennis Cowan, and Derek Dingle. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how all of that goes. Part of me honestly thinks that there's going to be, like, some sort of deal before the comics come out. Mm -hmm. Because it just seems, if nothing else, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, DC did a deal. Right. Right. You know, because DC just doesn't want to deal with the, the, the press. Mm hmm see because as far as I know like it's still milestone still an independent uh, an independent
0: entity that's licensing to DC
2: mm-hmm see mm-hmm. wow
0: that that is that is craziness um, yeah it'd be really interesting to see how that that shakes out yeah
1: uh, I'm trying to think what else was the doomsday clock event was fun mmhmm yeah. uh, I don't how much of this is like am I, the Thursday night, the night before the, the live stream panel? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an event for press where Jeff Johns walked us through the first issue entirely.
0: Mm-hmm. I think like you mentioned all of, that, right? Yeah, like the whole thing, uh, yeah.
1: the whole thing, and it was uh, even like outside of the Doomsday Clockness of it and the Watchmenness, mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see a writer. Literally page by page walk someone through his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just like this is what happens, but also this is the decision making process that took us here. Uh, and I kind of wish that they'd do that more often and with other books as well. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Cause I'd love to see, uh, other writers do something with that format. You know?
0: You know, I have to say that, that rubs me Really, the wrong way, which I, uh, you know, of course, we're like, oh, how surprising, Jeff. Wait, you wait, were no, no, no because because of because of Doomsday Clock or because of the format. The I think the format of here's the first appearance of because it's not like you guys read the first issue. I'm assuming, and then he walked you through it. It's literally like. Here's the first issue. I'm wa- you're reading it while I'm wa- while he's walking you
1: through. Uh, you yeah? Know. Or no? Well, it's kind of complicated because basically the format is, we went in, mm-hmm. all the pages are hung in a gallery. Mm-hmm. We have time to go through and read everything first, mm-hmm. before he comes out. So, we had just read it, mm-hmm. and they made a- like, you made a point. They're like, like, do this before he goes round.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Well, that that but then that sort time, of mitigates like, but it. but at a the same
1: bit. time, you know, that's maybe twenty minutes before he goes through it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's not like I had to, we had to time to sit with us. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and there's just something that I find. I mean, you know me. I'm very much the idea right. of like the 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 author only has so much say over the the product. Any anyway so the idea that it's like while it's still fresh in your brain he's walking you through the decision process Oh, yes yeah, I, I love that but then again I am a process wonk so of course i would well i'm into pro- I'm into the idea of being able to go through that process yeah absolutely but 10 or 15 minutes after it seems to me like it'd be really hard for you to walk out with an unbiased idea of what it what of what it was because it's literally still ringing with um drenched in intention you know what i mean like it seems it seems like it's a way to avoid to make sure that uh, the most pr- prominent tastemakers get walked through it in a way that will not allow that 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 minimizes the chance for misinterpretation
1: this is where my cynicism comes in because I'm like, well, of course it is, well, yeah, but uh, well, and there like, you go. like it's like that's that, like that's that's exactly what it is mm-hmm. you know it's a press event, press events are to control the narrative well like that, that's what they're there for
0: sure, but there', there there's the there's there's the soft handling which is like you know fly out to this place we give you lots of great food we're putting you up in a hotel then we're shuttling you out to lucasfilm ranch and you get to actually oh like...
1: no, honest honestly jeff i think that is more insidious than than this
0: oh well... like
1: I, I i i really genuinely do mm. I, th- I think that is much more of a i think meet and greets in general are much more of a uh uh i i a way of of controlling how you read the work
0: yeah I, you know what i i i think that how do i put it that is probably true you have a much stronger awareness and experience with these things um one of the things that struck me was the difference between seeing a movie one night and then the next morning being you know ridden out to to not really talk personally with George Lucas, but have him like tell you like, yeah, this is what the clone wars. This is why I did this. This is what we're doing him and, uh the director oh, whose name. I'm going to Dave something. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh it, it, To me, it's like maybe if those two events happen like 10 minutes apart, you know what I mean? Like there, and there's a little bit of like, yeah, you see a promo movie and then the creator comes up and, and talks about what they were intending to do and then, and then they answer some questions. Um, I don't know. It just, like you said, it's, I know you're, I know you're cynical. Uh, I'm cynical too <laughs> in a way, or I want to believe. We're
1: we're we're, di- no, we're, 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 we're different flavors of cynical. Yeah. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, and the, it just, they're... I, I
1: I, th- I, th- I, I genuinely think that's, that's what it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I will, I will tell you this much, Jeff. Like you shouldn't read Doomsday Clock.
0: Oh, I read. I read those first um, five, the five pages or six pages it's or whatever. Six pages. Six yeah, pages. and I was like, "There, there is no way I can fucking read this. I am so yeah."
1: You're. you're, you're it's. I think it would just upset you.
0: Yeah. I, uh, yeah.
1: What What is fascinating to me is that you and I talked about Watchmen recently, mm-hmm. and I made some particular critiques about it Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and in a really weird way John's is addressing it and I don't know if he knows he's doing that
0: Hmm.
1: but uh, that's just it like I'm not sure I can give the credit for it because I don't think he knows he's doing it
0: right you
1: know and it's like but it it turns it into really strange his decisions are very interesting to me Mm -hmm. because on the one hand they are addressing the very particular things I brought up with you. On the other hand, because if he's doing it unconsciously, mm-hmm. or if he's doing it not realizing that those are necessary flaws in the original work, mm-hmm. or at least problems with the original work, mm-hmm. um, you know, does that even mean anything?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you know what I mean? Uh, but... Yeah, what like Doomsday Clock w- is just guarantees to upset you
2: mm-hmm.
1: on, on so many levels,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and as a as a friend, like I almost send you a message from the event. Be like Jeff, just don't. Yeah, like you, like your happiness is too important. <laughs> you know, if at a, if at any point like Matt or I are like, let's do a round table, you have to be like, no, you
0: told me not to read this. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's, I, I just can't. Those first few pages, I was like, no. I mean, it's, it's always interesting to me the ways in which I'm like, John's, particularly in those first set of pages, I thought John's the, just the, well, and it's interesting. The problem is that's really holding my tongue is I remember we talked uh, about Watchmen for a good long chunk of time. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And, I, and I'm like, God, what the fuck did we say? There was definitely a point where I feel like you had made some really good points about more that I felt it was really hard for me to... I was on that verge of like, oh, maybe he's changing my mind a little bit about the work. Or I was like, ah, I don't feel well read enough to defend them. But I, I'm like... But apart from this specific point, I I don't remember the specific point, so it's really hard for me to be like, uh, listeners, for those people, uh, you might, who don't check out the website on a regular basis, you absolutely, totally should, because Graham (laughs) is doing a, a series of columns that just started up, where he is working his way through before Watchmen, and then is going to read Watchmen, and and it should wrap up relatively close to when Doomsday it, Clock comes out. It you know?
1: it should wrap up like the week Doomsday Clock comes out. It's a yeah. it's a twelve part series. Look at me going live each <laughs> each Tuesday and Thursday at eleven fifty seven. Look at me. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's it's. I, 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 although, as I sent you an email, we'll see how long before I fuck up my schedule. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, we're definitely scheduled through, like, the middle of the week after next. Yeah, so nice. so we're, we're doing all right. Um, but uh, it's funny because I spoke – like, when we spoke, I I hadn't written it yet, but I had read the books. Mm-hmm. Um, And what has come out for me in writing it is – as I said to you, like I liked Darwin Cook books. Right. And what's really funny is how much I really dislike the other Before Watchman books in response. Mm-hmm. In large part because they're all Too different faithful, flavors. Right? Right. Well but yeah, but different different flavors of there is no reason for this book to exist. Right. Right. Like at all. Mm-hmm. Um either because, you know, in the case of, of uh comedian, there's no story. <laughs> like, there's literally not a plot to that comic. Or, um, or Ozymandias is literally, uh, um previously in Watchmen. <laughs> like, laying out all of Ozymandias' plan in chronological order.
0: Oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. Which
1: you know, is, is, uh, like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, or, or, uh, Dr. Manhattan, which is, like, a what if? Mm-hmm. A weird ass "what if"? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, they're all like weirds, you know. Uh, and in many cases, like I'm not sure Brian Azzarello actually reread the books before he wrote he wrote his comics. Mm-hmm. I, I don't wrong. I'm sure he tried Watchmen. Not sure he rewrote it before he wrote the books, though. <laughs> uh, like, like uh, the Rorschach series is set in 1977, right? And if you've read Watchmen, 1977 is when the Keaton Act happens. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they make a point of, like, you know, there, there there's these riots, and is and a really big year. None of that is in the Rorschach series. Wow. At all. <laughs> there's no foreshadowing for it. There's no, like, you know, after effects. Mm-hmm. It's not present. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's literally like someone was like, can you do an Elseworlds Rorsch- Rorschach? Mm-hmm. Just make it take place in 9770s. Like, okay, sure. I'll throw in a punk reference, a disco reference, and a taxi driver reference. I'm golden. (laughs) And that's it. Mm. You know? Uh, As opposed to, like, Straczynski, who was, you know, clearly reread all the books every night before he went to sleep. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Before he was writing these comics. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like, to the point, to the detriment of the story. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, yeah, and then you, then I get to Watchmen and I, you, you know how I feel about Watchmen. And listeners, you'll know how I feel about Watchmen in like a month.
0: <laughs> so stay tuned.
1: Exactly. Stay tuned. Wait what Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah, old doomsday clock. I'm, uh, yeah. So, uh, Graham, I have to say, I'm frustrated with DC these days. I'm, there's, Tell me why. There are things that I actually like from DC that's coming out. Like, I'm kind of stunned that, uh, for me anyway, like, uh, the current incarnation of Deathstroke is just kind of a perfect little superhero book for me. Like, it's got, especially with this weird pivot into it's a superhero team that's being run by a supervillain who no one can believe is actually trying to change his spots. Exactly. You ha, know?
1: Has, has he really gone good? Right. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, I just, I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy Priest's way with characterization. I enjoy the, the really, um, screw-wise way that he plots, you know, which is this weird, very high level seat of your pants, you know, none of this should really like come together, but it, it seems layered in a way that seems intentional, you know? Yeah. Uh,
1: And and somehow it, it comes together, not exactly despite him, mm -hmm. but it feels like, it feels like it overlaps organically.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, exactly. And that's it. It sort of, it sort of feels like, oh, he's kind of got this big master plan laid out when after reading just the, even the small portion of that, um, that book of essays that he self-published, um, I'm aware that that's really not how he does his stuff, you know? <laughs> uh, so there's stuff like that, and there's, there's a few little dickering things that I'm not, like, I was like, eh, ah, Suicide Squad, okay, but I'm, I finally just have to give it up, you know, it just, I I had been talking for a couple of issues and this was the point where I'm like, okay, it's enough of a transition point where I think I can jump off without really feeling the pain. But for me, there was the sort of the tri-punch of, um, you know, the conclusion of the War of Jokes and Riddles, which you were very uh, in Batman 32, where you were like, oh, Jeff, I'll be very curious to see how you think to this. Because you almost inevitably hated it right? No, I didn't. Uh, that's- Oh really? Yeah, no, that, that is the thing. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I, I was at that point, cause there is, a there's a, there's a page where uh For I don't want to fully spoil it, I, I guess for it's the readers, even though it's a couple of weeks. Spoil out.
1: it? Yeah, I was going to say by the time this comes out. I want to say it'll be yeah, like that, it's at least yeah, it's at least
0: two weeks if not three. Yeah, I think it'll be three. Well, that, but I mean, that used to be like less time than you know. Yeah, an but, issue it's, to come it's, out, but it's it comes out every two yeah. weeks
1: now. Yeah. Like I, here's the thing, I feel spoilers are maybe not fair game, but I think once the next issue is out,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think you can, I think spoilers are all right
0: right well so this is going to be like isn't this going to be like an issue we're coming out like 2 days before the next issue or something or am I, I already sure, an issue behind I honestly
1: I honestly don't
0: know so right exactly you're reading so far in advance <laughs>
1: weird for me yeah, yeah.
0: exactly so uh, basically there's uh batman makes a choice uh decision uh at the close of the the war of jokes and riddles and as it was happening I was like Yeah, I, okay. Like, I was like, as it was happening, I'm like, ugh, it's a step too far. But I'm kind of like, I think I'm on board for it. Which I thought was like, oh, this is going to be the moment that I reject. And then there's the the twist on top of that, which is sort of unexpected. And I'm like, oh, that's. An unexpected thing that I can basically get behind as well, so i finished the I finished the issue, and especially with your warnings, I was like, oh yeah I, I didn't i I didn't dislike it, yeah, that's all right, but you know what, Graham, I gotta say like a I do have this level of my ongoing suspicions about Tom King just kind of not liking Batman or feel really justified so far so far we'll see we'll see where it turns Um, but also I just had that thing of the a lot of the earlier plot hammering because the whole the whole finale gets to that point where um, the it's not that final twist of Batman's choice it's actually his penultimate choice where he's basically like you know Everyone in Gotham is going to end up dead. I have to choose which side I throw my side, you know, throw my side on in order to overthrow the other team. You, you know, the, mm-hmm. do I side with the Riddler or do I side with the Joker? And I, you know, I, I, I typed this a little bit in an e- email to Matt Turrell. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, I, it, that sort of works for me in, in a one issue Bob Haney, Brave and the Bold, like, you know, the Batman, Batman's like, I've got to team up with the Riddler in order to stop the Joker. I, I'm okay with that when it's kind of a one issue in the Haneyverse kind of thing. You know what I mean? But there's some, sure. but there's some weird, the flip side of it is it's played out at this level. I'm just kind of like, uh, Kings, it was, it was just too plot hammered. I, I realized like the denouement didn't really bother me what in part because I just kind of wasn't I, he lost me like three or four issues back. And so Yeah, yeah. I yeah, you 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 weren't engaged. Yeah, I wasn't engaged and I also felt that um that King took Kite Man and went from like, "Oh, I'm I've made this like the surprise smash hit," you know, a, a character of the decade to yeah, that, uh, I don't ever want to see that character again. You know what I mean? Like it was- I'm uh, super curious where he's going next with
1: Kaipman. Because I almost feel like Kaipman needs to disappear for a while now.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. I mean, definitely his, his, uh, his trademark punchline. And, and it's worth, it's worth remembering to me that, you know, for as formidable a writer as King is, he's... Still kinda pretty new to the game comparatively, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these issues of Batman that he's written, you know, he's 33 issues in or something like that, and in a relatively short, super short per- compressed period well, it, of time. You know, if, if you
1: think about the, the, um Omega Man was the first time a lot of people, myself at least, had really noticed Storm King. Well, and that launched in twenty
0: fifteen. You actually, you were the one who brought him to my attention. Oh, I guess it would
1: have been Nightwing, yeah, uh, not Nightwing Grayson. Grayson,
0: yeah, Grayson, which was really just the year before. Yeah, so Grayson was what twenty, yeah, twenty fourteen. Yeah, I want to say twenty fourteen, which is super super recent. Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's super recent. So he's had this real meteoric rise, and. Part of me is like I think there's a way in which part of me is like eh, not 100% uh, down with the craft. I mean, you know, like or for me, like part of it is a little bit. I feel which like it's kind of hilarious if you consider. Like the
1: response to the Grayson issues, especially his initial Grayson, Grayson right. issues, both of us are like, he's formally amazing!
0: Yes. Well, and how do I put it? That's the weird part, is he is formally amazing. Like when you get to the end of that issue, uh, I can look at what he's doing, the underpinning thoughts of what he's saying about, um Batman. And even honestly the difference between a riddle and a joke, like it drills down really deep. There's just the, the unfortunate thing. And this is like, I feel like with the vision, when he more or less tosses a character's continuity on the bonfire, um, it, it there's ways in which you sort of can forget Give it, I suppose, in particularly in the context, and especially it helps, I think, in the vision, the idea that that's a little bit of what the what the character is about slash going through. Like very much, the it's it's a really easy to fudge the details of who a character is when the um, underlying theme of the book is essentially a person's midlife crisis and. Their attempts to make themselves be something other than what they are—I suppose—like that's sure, sort of one worked for to be, to be
1: more cynical, Marvel does that all the time with all the characters. Well, like, yeah, so you, so exactly. You know, you were like, "Sure, of course."
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think that is absolutely very true. So, so for me, the that links up to Mister Miracle three. Um, and metal in sort of two different ways, I guess. Because for me, metal, which I really love the prelude issues, I'm three issues into this event, and I kind of really don't like it. Like, I'm just not enjoying it. And it's also very weird. Maybe part of it's like this bad timing to me, but there's a little bit of the... mm you know following- following on the heels of rebirth, where everyone's like, "Hey, like this is you know we we're we got too dark, we got too grim, like we realize we gotta stand back, these characters have to be inspirational, and uh metal is really interesting to me and what it may thematically basically be saying, which is something along the lines of Batman's poisoning the d c universe uh or." I guess an alternate take is kind of uh, the DC universe is, is sort of like completely um, everything, everything dysfunctional more or less pivots around Batman, you know, which is kind of mm-hmm. an interesting, weird, fun idea in the sense that it's kind of fun to think about, argue about, or make the case for. But in the comic, I'm sorta of like you know, like I follow Scott Snyder, I don't on Twitter and I it's not like I it's not like I read through his timeline, it's like it pops up in there and he's saying stuff like, ah. It's
1: not that I'm obsessively reading through his timeline or anything. Well,
0: no, no, but I do think it's different because it could well be that at some point he did some deep dive and talks about it. But generally what I see is him being like, you know what, metal is very much about the spirit of fun and invention in the DCU. It's like, it's meant to hit those like big beats and it's, you know, it's got, it's like, it's like metal, it's like, th- it's like dark, but it's fun dark. Like we're never losing track of the fun. And like issue three just like, I don't know, it was kind of like, oh, hey, here's Detective Chimp in that bar with, with all the cross time adventurers that are hiding out there. Oh, here's the guy with like the sword being stuck through his head. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, it kind of, it feels, it, it feels disingenuous at Jeff Johnsian levels, you know, of, but also not fun. Like there's that weird like, Blackest Night is really stupid in a way that's enjoyable. You know, as, as I've said many times, part of me was like, yeah, okay, you know, f- that, fucking zombie sharks. Liked, yeah. Yeah. You liked. Black Stain, you liked uh,
1: Sinestro Corps War. I remember both of them. You were like, "This is not reinventing the wheel, but it's stupid superhero fun, right. and I can get behind it."
0: Yeah, I mean, Sinestro Corps War really did have something where it was like, "Oh, here's someone, here's John's like taking like a really big budget um, approach to a Green Lantern story." And he's also kind of nailing like the, the screenwriter beats, like the beats that you would have if it were a movie. And it was like, it was, uh, it was, it was effective. Like Darkest Night was kind of all over the map, but even in the midst of things, there was a little bit of the, you just can't throw a zombie shark in there without signaling to the reader a little bit of, of, Kind of just that level of like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I mean, he's kind of like, yeah, and I've got, I've got like a green lantern that vomits blood. Like, there's just various levels of like, okay, that is clearly some level of, I don't know, It, 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 John's willingness to actually kind of go to the idiotic end of things, I think really redeems a lot of the more cynical takes that he comes up with. Snyder, I think, for the most part has a... um, To me, is also very interesting in the sense of, I feel like like King, he also thinks about, like, theme informs the twists or the crafting of what he's making. But at at the same time, I don't know, like, Metal 3 was kind of like... I also had this weird, like, does he really not think that anyone read Final Crisis? Like, there's... There's just, you know what I mean? Like, there's just weird levels. No, no in, but he definitely does. He definitely does because he's playing off Final Crisis. No, no, and I mean, he even mentions it in like the various little editor's notes. Like, he he is. He's kind of like, oh, I'm doing this, but there's just there's just weird. To me, there's weird levels of like, I don't know what he thinks that he's bringing, that's new to it, but it doesn't it doesn't See, I feel new i don't
1: think he thinks he's bringing anything new to it at all jeff mm. uh because uh, for for me i find it a mostly fun book i will admit that i read issue 3 this week and thought that maybe i'd missed an issue
0: mhm oh yeah 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 very like much like
1: i so. i mm-hmm. i had this like disconnect mhm uh and especially at the 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 finale mhm you know, with Superman being like, ah, spoilers, everyone. Superman, you know, going to rescue Batman, and Batman's like, no, it's a trap. Right. And I was kind of like, this feels like a different comic than last issue. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It, this, this feels like really, um, like like I
0: have missed missed a, a bunch. Right. Well, and that's it because I didn't go out of my way to read to pick up anything. But you know, Suicide Squad. I, I, I like. I have read got, all the Gotham Underground issues, and I've read
1: the the like you know, the Batu runs or whatever they're called, <laughs> like, all the one shots. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever, I, they're, they're called things like the Red Death or something. Yeah, I can't remember right. what they're actually called. But like, I've read all of them, mm-hmm. and I still went into issue three being like, I feel like I've missed an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a relatively fun comic. I think it is. Um I think it's really I think it's too self-aware for what it wants to be. I think in order to truly commit to the bit, it has to be dumber. Right. And I think that the dumb that it is is a smart person trying to be dumb, if mm-hmm. that makes sense.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I I I do get that. Um I just yeah, it just doesn't Capullo again. Capulo stuff seems really either rushed or bored. I like, like I really feel like Snyder's trying to write these like really big scenes and big cool things for him to draw, and it sort of feels like Capullo's kind of like, ah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, I should. Be, I'm told I should be into, you know. Grim Reaper Batman but um you know I really felt like he spent more time drawing the characters in in the when they're hiding out in the bar you know it's just like there is stuff where like you know the again they've got the the judge death batman with like the the robin ghouls you know capering at his feet and it really feels like maybe this maybe the script is too jammed that that capullo doesn't feel comfortable breaking it out but it just kind of feels like he's like Meh. eh, like everything feels like at the it's like an entire issue drawn panel as if every panel was a free convention sketch you know um and uh it's, it's kind of it's so, so that's part of it too, but I just, I just feel like, I don't, I didn't see anything fun about it, it just all felt kinda like when they're like, oh, it's Jon Snow Nightwing, I'm like, okay, if you kinda hang a lantern on it, that oh, no, no I'd Like my,
1: my eyes rolled at that yeah. I, 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 I was like,
2: really? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. but that's
1: what, I guess that's what I mean by like
0: smart person trying to be dumb.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. they explain the joke. Right.
0: Well, because I think I because think I'm not sure the joke necessarily lands. I mean, and that's... But, but that's... That should be fine. You know,
1: like, if... I I guess that's what I mean about being self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Like, if you... If, like I said, if you commit to the bit, then you commit to the bit. And you don't stop to be like, I made a joke. You just keep going. You go and, like, Nightwing's dressed like Jon Snow. Also, here's a fucking ape. Also, this guy used to be in a band, but now he's a certain sorcery dude, and now they're all being attacked by demonic robins, Mm -hmm. as opposed to Nightwings in a band. Did you get that? Alright, I'm like, John Snow. Did you get that? He looks like the guy from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is a really popular show. And it's Sword and Sorcery, which is kind of what we're doing with this. And look, here's this guy who's also Sword and Sorcery. Do you get what I'm doing? And a monkey, but he's a detective. That's really funny, right? Cause I mean, think about it. How many monkeys do you know that are detectives? Right. And that's, the latter is what issue three felt like to me more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like I- if you're going to be, be dumb, don't feel the need to, point out like am i not being wacky
0: well i i guess there's part of me that just yeah i just i don't know graham i just gotta say it's it's part of it is very much the i i know that that snyder's a big fan and i think like in in comics these days you kind of also have to every everyone's kind of got the oh it's always darkest before the dawn you know but but part of me is Kinda, I just, I, I really didn't like it. I, uh, like, Mr. Miracle Issue 3 has that amazing alternate cover by Mitch Gerard that, 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 um, riffs on a, you know, a crumb cartoon. I thought that that was like genius. But then I read the rest of the comic and I'm just kinda like, I mean, I know that it's a little bit of the, hey, here's, you know, here, here we are inside depression. You know, I'm going to take you right into the dark side and I'm really pushing you through the heart of the dark side. But I just had this weird, like, uh, it's, it's not like Snyder and Capullo where I feel like I was a, where I feel like they're not really working up to their level or the, I feel like it's a misfire. Like, the stuff with Mr. Miracle feels like this is King's, this is what King's doing, and it's weird, because I know you and I had a big talk about King and King's intentions, and, you know, about about his stuff really just kind of killing you you know like you, you said i don't remember if it's this issue of mr miracle 3 or if it was mr miracle 2 mr. It was miracle, mr miracle 2 yeah which the end of 2 is fabulous the this issue issue 3 i thought missed it badly enough that it was like maybe i just don't trust tom king enough as a writer to go on this journey with him you know it's the beginning there if there's
1: part of issue 3 the conversation with bug mm-hmm. that felt on the nose in a way that the rest of the series hasn't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but the end of issue three really, really fucking freaked me out. Like really, really upset me and not in a like I'm angry, but in a, I am creeped out and I don't know why way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Again, like do we just do spoilers the the issues out? So I was we?
0: I was about to say I'm like you've been pretty happy to spoil all the rest of this stuff so I think we know I know like, well. so, so so yeah. Um,
1: yeah. when Orion attacks Mr. Miracle for the first time and talks about having uh like having seen the face of god. That's like that's disturbing to me now, and I don't know why. It's so interesting because, like, up until that point, I was like, I, "I'm not sure this issue's is working for me." And then that happened. That I was like, "Oh shit!" Because up up until that scene, I think I'm with you. I think I think it wasn't an issue that really landed for me, but that scene at the end, like, really upset me.
0: Well, yeah, and I Graham, because go- it's basically uh, it's basically two pages of puppy torturing. Before you get to the the last page, like no, it's it no, because it's not the puppy torturing. It's the, um,
1: it's the dissonance of knowing that something is wrong and not knowing if something is wrong or if you're wrong. Does that make
0: sense? Uh, I think you might have to walk it out a little bit more for me. I I get what you're saying. I mean, have you ever been? Have you ever been in a situation?
1: everything feels so wrong mm-hmm. and and um wrong on multiple levels, not just uh, uncomfortable but also like nonsensical yeah
0: yeah yes, and in fact where, that, where you,
1: right where you utterly want to deny reality like you're you're like this literally can't be happening, this makes no sense this is like there's such a disconnect from what i I would expect um it had that. Feeling for me, um, mixed with like I totally read in horror tropes, like I expected Orion to like take up his helmet and there to be like a monster or something underneath it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so it really, really got to me. It really, really upset me. Like I, I had a, a very, and I've said this before, about Mr. Miracle specifically, I had a very emotional reaction to this that was. Arguably, out of scale with what is actually happening on the page. Like what I'm bringing to the work was such that, like, I I like it freaked me out, Jeff.
0: You know, Graham, I, it's very interesting, but part of me feels like this is the if we were having this conversation about Twin Peaks: The Return, it would all click into place for me because I because for me, there, you know. There was there were so many points during the course of watching Twin Peaks: The Return where I had exactly all of those emotions that you're talking about, and it could well, well I, be. Actually,
1: yeah. It's the same feeling I had when I was watching the original Twin Peaks at the very end of the second season. Yeah, exactly. The that nervous, last it, episode. It was that yeah. feeling. It was that feeling, mm-hmm. uh, and for that. My, for that matter, I've still not seen beyond the first two episodes of the New Swan Peaks, but I have seen the last scene because of course I have. The internet exists. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and it's the, it's the, the feeling I got from that scene as well.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. It's that, that, it's that thing. And I got it from Miss Miracle. And I did not expect to because the third issue was disappointing me up to that point.
0: Yeah. Whereas for me.
1: And, you know, I think in a weird way, it hit me more because of
0: that. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense to me. I, because I suspect that, Sort of the same way that I would see people watching Twin Peaks The Return. And, uh, I mean, Twin Peaks really was one of those episodes where it was, I would go afterwards and read what people were saying on Twitter after the episodes. Because, because there was usually, there was so much there, there was stuff that I was missing that was just, brilliant you know there was a lot of stuff i thought i caught but there was also stuff like it was it was an enriching experience but it was interesting there were also people who were just like i'm not i'm not into this i'm not down with this like i didn't move pick up tom king's mr miracle and be like oh finally a return to you know Jack Kirby's Mister Miracle, or like this is really going to pick up where I felt like the englehart Marshall Rogers issues left off. It was just I I knew what I was getting into, but as the same way that I feel like people who came back for Twin Peaks season three were, um, and then a lot of them were like, "What what the fuck is this?" No, I'm not exactly like this.
1: This, this is not what I expected. Yeah,
0: and it's not really like it's not what I expected. I just I just have this weird like. It's, it's, it's just not, it's not, it's not wowing me. It's not singing to me and it's, it's just, there's just something where I'm like, I don't think that I'm going to be able to make this ride. And, and like you said, there is a way in which, you know, what Marvel does with its characters are such that most of them at this stage are, are super plastic for me, you know, in a, in a, In a way, like I say that, I also, I also don't follow them, but it's kind of at that level where it's like, oh yeah, I can read, I can read the vision and, and King's not going to ruin that character because like John Byrne did a perfectly good job ruining that character, you know, (laughs) 20 years earlier, you know, like I'm just like, okay, that's,
1: what I always come back to is Fractions Mm Mm-hmm. which was great. Right. Uh, But also wasn't the same Hawkeye, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like, that that kind, like that was the weird dissonance break for me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like, Mm -hmm. you know, coming after years of Bendis, who was doing that all along, but Fractions Hawkeye in particular was the one where I was like, oh, that's right. These aren't like, no one is is concerned with with, uh, character consistency anymore.
0: Yeah, right. Right, and so it's not really like I mean King has kept enough stuff every everything that's there with maybe some of the shit with well honestly some of the stuff with forger some of the stuff with light ray, but generally as a rule of thumb, most of the stuff that's there is uh, there's is implicit enough in the characters, you know what I mean it's that it that it kind of. So far, like, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really object to it. It's not like it's, it's not like it's rubbing me wrong per se. I just kind of find myself being like, I'm, A, I'm, I'm really, not, I'm not there, I'm just not there for it. And also it just really kind of was at this weird thing of, you know, three for three in terms of DC books that just felt like, ah, I can undark, you know, I can double dark down you. No, I can, Double well, dark, what? the darkness that you've double darked on, uh, you know. And I'm just... I, I saw, I saw, I want to say it was David a Mary. I
1: saw someone on Twitter say that about Mr. Miracle, uh, that essentially it had become Kyle Baker's, um, plastic man. Do you remember Kyle Baker did like <laughs> yes. the really, really, like the parody dark? Um, and what's really funny for me is Mr. Miracle and metal, not so much King's Batman. But Mr. Miracle Metal seem to have, like, I, I read a humor into them, I guess. Because you're the second person who's like, there's no humor in there. Like, it's just completely grim. And I don't think so at all. Like, I find there some, I find there to be something, don't get me wrong, very darkly
0: humorous in Mr. Miracle. Well, but I think, I think it's a funny book. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, how do I put it? I kind of feel like that's a little bit of it. Like, there's... To me, there's the. Um, you and I have talked about this, and I know you disagree. But like for me, there was a point at which, as I saw it, John's mask slipped off enough that I was like, "Oh, oh, okay. There's some weird. Like this stuff really doesn't mean anything to him. Like he's just." He's just a super capable liar. And I don't think that there's necessarily anything that is wrong per se on that. I mean, let's face it, like, we all, f- the superhero comics, uh, as a genre that exists, um, post Stan Lee really, I mean, you know, the, the progenitor of the medium was a liar in that sense, you know, even to the point where I'm referring to him as the progenitor, but, but there is something, there's something with John's that, that is some sort of lower level degree of cynicalness that, that I'm basically, on the one hand, more or less rendered some of it uninteresting for me, but I was also kind of like, oh, you can only kind of get so far without it. Like, there is, you, you mentioned Fraction's Hawkeye, one of the things that I think is interesting about Fraction is, is that, I don't feel he can never quite get cynical enough to, to get to the level of, of being able to play with the characters or the concepts at the level that he wants. There's this, and that's where the self-consciousness comes in. And that may well be where Snyder's self-consciousness is for me, is that the metal might be the, oh yeah, here's, here's a guy who's like, You know, really smart, acting like he's dumb, and he just kind of can't sell it. And part of me is a little bit of this idea of, like, here's Scott Snyder, who I think is a guy who is trying to be... Who's who's tried to be, like, a very sincere guy in, in the work and what he's approaching with the work... And is coming up against some level of cynicism that he can't quite buy into, and and I kind of feel like part of me is like, you know, I don't necessarily think I should begrudge Tom King, if if he doesn't care about Vision, he doesn't care about Mister Miracle, he doesn't really care about Batman, but he knows that he can tell stories about these characters because he knows the characters. Um. And it's very much all a means to an end. And that end is to make sure that at, at the end of issue 100 of Batman, when he turns around and, and launches his image series, he's going to, you know, sell 60 th- or 70,000 copies of it. I, it's like, I can't help it. Like, that's the lens with, with which I see King And Part of me is like, I don't... I I have a little bit of that weird bone in my throat of like you know the of of kind of suspicion. Which is weird because most of the time I think one of the things that worked for so long with superhero comics is you can read them at a level that is sort of where they can fly under the radar, I suppose, you know? And uh but I, I kind of find myself being like, with John's with Doomsday Clock, it's like, I, part of me is like, I can't believe that he really has anything to say about these characters that is going to mean anything to me unless it's something that ends up being super cynical because the whole thing seems super cynical. You know? It, it, in a way it sort of ties back to, um the feedback loop, uh, on Twitter where it was like, all this horrible shit came came out about Harvey Weinstein and because of the portion of Twitter that I follow, it was this immediate like, when are we going to get this moment in comics? You know, when are we going to get the moment where the abusers get named and the stories come out, you know, and... For me, the stuff that's been interesting about Weinstein is the way as someone as someone who had heard the story some you know the general gist of stories without specific names attached, like probably going back like i don't know ten to fifteen years for myself uh on the one hand, it was kind of gratifying to see it come out, but it was also depressing to see the degree to which. There were people who were like, oh, this is, I, who could have known, you know, kind of thing. Like there, there were, it was more gratifying seeing people in positions of power coming out who were kind of made a very tightly mediated statement along the lines of like, yes, I applaud the courage of the people who, who came, came out and stepped forward, which I think is good. But when you see shit that was like, you know, I don't know. Uh, some of the male collaborators. Oh, no, they're, 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 there's, there's been a lot of
1: the, I, I you know, I thought he was unfaithable, but I never thought that he was a rapist.
0: Right, yeah. Uh,
1: you know, I just, I don't believe them.
0: Right, you don't believe them. I mean, like, right, people, right.
1: Like, right. Exactly. Know, like, sure, and, and, you know, it's been interesting to see, and this will be like a brief teaser before we get back to what you're saying, mm-hmm. but... um. It's been interesting to see the evolution of the Matt Damon of it all yeah. this week.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: where it was like, you know, Matt Damon definitely knew Matt Damon called to get a story killed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it turned into, but maybe Matt Damon didn't really know. Right. Maybe Matt Damon got a story killed, but he didn't know what story he was killing. <laughs> and it's like, how, like, this is getting massaged in the weirdest, most public way. Yeah. And also in a way that is utterly unbelievable. Right. 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 Because for that to be true, Matt Damon has to be has to care enough to get a story killed and not care enough to ask what the story is.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
1: Have so little curiosity. Right. <laughs> that he's like, "No, but, but what is this?"
0: Mhm. Mhm.
1: And that just makes no sense.
0: Right. Right. Exactly you know unless it's like what he suspects is so bad that he literally doesn't want to know right like that's kind of that thing of like But
1: even so like do you not still find out you probably do do. no i feel
0: like you do do do, uh,
1: do you really stop you're like oh this is this is terrible and horrifying you know i'd better make sure no one else finds this out and i better not find it out either
0: right yeah no exactly that's
1: yeah. Like who, who
0: has that reaction? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, you know, right. So, well, and I mean, this is it. And this kind of leads me along the path of some of the stuff that I've been thinking about, I don't know, Hollywood's anyway, was, is kind of this level of like, people are, some of the craftsmen that are there are, are at levels that I, um, can only like half understand slash believe. Because there's kind of a thing of like, the Hollywood turns out story after, story after story after story after story after story, which is along the lines of believe in yourself and you'll win. Don't compromise and you'll win. You know, like, the good guys triumph and they will because they're the good guys. And good will win out as long as good is tenacious and, 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 um, works hard, you know, and, learns to love and trust again, you know? And then you look at stuff, like, again, part of me is like uh, some of the fallout from, uh, well, I'll come back to that. But, but basically I find myself being like, oh yeah, like I kind of figured like there's elements to Hollywood where it's like, oh yeah, sure. There's, you know, the douchebag here and the douchebag there, you just have to be smart enough and wily enough or lucky enough that you fall under the, the auspices of like a good mentor or whatever. And the, and the fact is, is part of me is like, I kinda, no, I think that these are people who are really good at, at making widgets. And those widgets are heart-shaped stories that make us cry. But like, they're their belief in the widget, like if you ask them, they're like, oh, you absolutely gotta fucking believe in the widget. Like you can't tell a story that you're not connected to, that you don't believe and buy from the heart. And I'm like, maybe that's something that they are pulled aside in a room and are told. Like if you want to keep your career, you absolutely have to tell this. You know, you absolutely have to remind oh, I, I, people. I
1: honestly have, have no doubt. That even that if they're not told that they recognize on some level. Well,
0: exactly
2: because that there is a set, smart set enough, enough level story. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: you have to say, "Oh, you know, I've always dreamt about telling this Iron Fist story. Iron Fist has been my favorite character since whatever." Well, you yeah, know? right. But Ragman, who who doesn't like Ragman? I remember reading Ragman's first appearance in quickly Google's Ragman's first appearance.
0: Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, and there, there are those. There, there. But, but somehow beyond the level of Ghostwriter and Ragman, to the idea of like, I believe in a just and loving universe. You know what I mean? Like, I think it. This there's this, a little bit of this idea of like, the people who make it in Hollywood are the people who are kind of like, oh, okay, like, you know. They told me I had to, I had to shoot a baby deer in the head if I wanted this and I really, I, I cried a lot afterwards, but I gotta say, like, I really wanted this career and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, to me, there's just this weird level of like, the cynicism goes so deep at this level that I don't really That I'm kind of like, oh, hats off. Like, they're always like, yeah, you just got to, they keep telling you, like, you got to believe in, you got to believe in your story. You've got to believe in your dream. And it's kind of like the perfect way to make sure that you still stay employed forever is you keep telling the suckers, like, yeah, 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 just believe in it. And if you believe in it hard enough, the people who read it are going to believe it too, when really it's just more about the... You know, well, first off, one thing you've got to do is have an inciting incident by page seven, but you know, but it's also just a little bit of the stuff of like, yeah. And then I, you know, I walked in and Harry, Harvey Weinstein was like masturbating into a potted plant. And, um, you know, I walked out. I said nothing. And then, you know, later on, I, you know, had my agent call him and, and my spec script stole sold, you know, like, wow, you know, like there's, I don't know, there's just that weird level where I'm like, yeah, entertainment, which I always felt was founded on people's dreams. Like part of me is like, maybe it's founded on the graves of people's dreams. You know what I mean? Like this, this child of inside my heart that I had to strangle and bury in an unmarked grave in order to become a successful adult. I will honor it fiercely by, you know, basically working my ass off around the clock while being surrounded by serial abusers, you know, sexual harassers and, uh, and, you know, evil, uh, shit faces. Like I'm just, part of me is like, okay, that's kind of, the, oh, which was going to bring me back in a weird way to Joss Whedon, which is, I read a really, um, I thought, uh, Cogent piece, and I feel like this—I can't remember this came out around the time of his ex-wife statement. Like it must have come out after, but it was something that I felt like I had seen before. Which and I, and Sean Witzky was kind of the guy who tipped me to this two different ways, basically. The one hand, Sean Witzky was like, "Yeah, I watched, I watched all of Dollhouse." And I was like, ooh, how was that shit show? He's like, you know what? I was really impressed about how basically forthcoming Whedon was about his misogyny. And I was like, really? Wow, that wasn't the take that I thought that you were going to take from that. And that was not really the take that I thought anyone else had kind of walked out with. And then I read someone, and I think it might have been... I'm conflating two different voices, basically. But, mm-hmm. uh, but basically someone was like, yeah, you know, there's the... That Whedon crossed these really interesting tracks in the penultimate season of Buffy when he create, when basically the villains were the evil nerds, and that the, oh shit I've read this too yeah, yeah right so and I don't know who wrote it but I totally know what you're talking about right so God help me if I can if I can find it before the show notes but but basically that the evil nerds were what Whedon was warning us about. Well, about himself essentially. They, yeah,
1: exactly. It's it's not just it, like he wasn't uh he wasn't mourning it as an external thing. He was he was basically demonstrating who he was.
0: Right. Exactly. He 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 was he was coming clean in a way that made everyone um that disappointed this particular f- reader and fan and yet you know was kind of like well i'm a, I, I appreciate the way that he was tackling it but it was also very distressing to me and then it uh weirdly enough did you read that piece that amazing piece that was this woman's reaction to louis ck's fourth season no so so this woman has an amazing, you, you know about the recurring rumors about Louis C.K., some yes. of which have sur- yeah. resurfaced in the face of the Weinstein stuff. For people who don't know, the quickest way to sum up is, is that there are, there's always been these sub-rosa stories <laughs> do, circulating. So we'd
1: like say allegedly to avoid. Oh, absolutely. Election. Well, I, yes.
0: <laughs> there have been stories circulating that these women have said that, uh, you know, uh, that and I feel like saying this secondhand already established this is, this is hearsay. But allegedly, Louis C.K. had a pattern of, uh, trying to coerce women and out and outright basically like cornering them in a room and masturbating a la Harvey Weinstein and the potted plant. And, uh, this woman wrote an amazing piece where she talked about how in the fourth season of Louie and which is weird because around the time that I read those rumors was around the time the third season of Louie came out and more or less when I trailed off the show. So I haven't seen the fourth season, which is uh, remarkable in a way in the fourth season. One of the episodes that he has is uh, uh, an episode in which his character comes home and the woman uh Pamela Adlon who uh, plays his friend Pamela was there sort of babysitting the kids while he was out and she's there sleeping on the couch and uh gets up to leave and he tries to kiss her and she basically rebuffs him and he won't stop and so at one point she's more or less mashing her her her, her hand in his face and being like Just, would you stop it? Like, you know, you're such a goddamn moron, you can't even rape someone right, you know? And the the fourth season of Louis goes on to show him, like, up until then, he's had sort of comic misadventures with women and times where he's sort of been a fuck-up or blown it or been frustrated, but what this woman said was she had watched this scene and after it was done, she more or less rewound it and watched it again. Watched it three or four times through because she was like, this scene caught so much of how I, of the experience of being sexually assaulted by my boyfriend. Not just the, the stupidity of it, the insistence of it, that weird mix of, of, this would be funny if it wasn't so uncomfortable. To this is just outright so stupid that it is funny. To this is like Jesus Christ, just get me out of here. And she says the rest of the season is kind of like she's like I feel like Louis C.K. makes a fourth season where this character that we've come to know and root for you sh- he sh- shows how abominable he is with women, how entitled. He feels and how much his clumsiness and his desperation ends up resorting to just this level of violence that isn't, isn't full on violent, but is, is force, is literally force. And she was like, I, she's like, I'm really, every time I go back to it, I'm stunned by how profoundly it gets all the details right. And she said, and this is why it's super, super disappointing to me that, that he is not talking about it in the course of his, when he's being asked about it. Like every time he's asked about the stories, he's always kind of like, look, I, you know, essentially kind of like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking about this stuff. I don't feel comfortable talking about my life, which she's like, which is crazy because, because of course the whole point of the show, Louie is how much it's, you know, plays with how, how, oh, how yeah, yeah, exactly. She's like, he's literally got scenes where he's pushing the borders of having Louie take, make jokes about rape. And then later have a scene where he, you know, I don't know, slips and falls while trying to block a woman from like leaving on a date or something like that, you know? And it's, the she's like, I think that it's it's so frustrating and disappointing that he thinks that it's important enough to talk about in his art and try and capture well. And he does capture well, but he won't come clean to it in person, which, of course, for me, part of it's like uh that's kind of what art is, you know, getting back to my sort of my comment about the importance of cowardice (laughs) and, you know, is kind of like, I think that art exists for shit that we can't own up to in life. Like, I don't think that you're like, oh, here I am addressing this thing at a level that is profoundly naked and now I'm going to turn around and tell everyone what it means. Which, again, is part of that thing of, like, Jeff Johns walking you through Doomsday Clock issue one. I, I find, you know wonk process or not, i I, it's, it's, it usually is a guarantee of bad art, you know? Um, but not always. So, so these are things that are in my head. Fortunately for you, Graham (laughs) McMillan and everyone else. These are things
1: that are in your head. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, is, is that I can't even tie this into the stand, which it really does (laughs) in a profound way, tie into Stephen King's, the stand because, um, but I, I do think that, I do think I, we had joked the last time we talked about me doing like a, an episode, like a solo cast where I talk about it. I, I really genuinely think you should. I, I think I'm going to. I really do. I, I,
1: I cause I, to. I think it's, um, I think it's putting you in a very particular mindset. And I think it's putting you in a very particular mindset with regards to, um, Art and what art is capable of and what art can do. Uh,
0: I've, you think the stand I've, is doing that? Yeah. Interesting.
1: Well, I, I feel, and perhaps I'm wrong, but I feel that the, the last couple of episodes, which is pretty much what we've recorded since you've been rereading the stand, mm-hmm. um, has, have been charged in a very different way. Hmm. And I think that you are more forthcoming with the ways that, uh, comics or, or at least the, the, the big two comics. Mm-hmm. And really DC, because I feel like Marvel to an extent is dead to you already.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, with a couple of different it's, outliers. It's, I think that's true.
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's, is disappointing you mm-hmm. and it's frustrating you and it's showing you the, the shortfalls of that system in giving you what you want. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is all. Uh, entirely disconnected from your reading the stand. Mm-hmm. But for me, I feel like this all came to a head at the same time as you're reading the stand. And that the stand is fulfilling you as a reader much more. Hmm. Wow. Uh, than, than the comics are. And so I, 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 I fight to disconnect the two.
0: Hmm. Well, I, I think it makes sense. I sort of feel like it's, um, for myself, uh, I, I think I would, I would argue against the, the, the causal relation just because I think that A, I feel, I feel like 2017 is a, is kind of a bit of a crucible, I guess, or, you know, yeah. like I just yeah. feel like yeah. there's, but I also feel like hitting, hitting 50 and getting rid of, of my comic book collection and, and being in this spot of, um, I think just being able to look at various aspects of my life in a in a way that runs the risk of feeling and sounding um, depressive uh, or heavily cynical um, you know the the whole long conversation that we had about empathy and things i I find I just I feel like there's some things that that are these l- I feel like it's a little bit of like, oh, there's a scab that I've never really picked off to see what's underneath the scab, you know? Or in some cases, it's like, oh, there's this scab that's been on for so long, I forgot that it was a scab, and now that it's, now it's kind of coming off, you know? And so there, there are, there are, there are bits and pieces. There's ways in which I'm being, I know, like, hugely, hugely contradictory you know, because part of me is like, yeah, I can't wait to go see Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the big screen next week. And why the fuck are these Batman comics so goddamn depressing? You know? Yeah, but that's like, that's uh,
1: like, I I don't find that contradictory at all.
0: I guess uh, I don't part- either. I feel like it should because, be. Like, but but it's else-
1: not- yeah, but Texas like- yeah. Chainsaw Massacre is as much as anything, a nostalgic experience for you. You've mm. seen it before. It's not something you're, you're coming at fresh. And you know, sure, you're not really coming at Batman fresh either. You've read like a shit ton of Batman comics. Absolutely. But, but also, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my, um, defenses? Question mark? Of metal <laughs> is that I find her to be quote unquote fun. In the purposeful over-the-topness of it, and I think the same can be said more successfully of something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where the uh, extravagance of it mm-hmm. is the point. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one goes to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because they're like, "I want to see an emotionally gripping narrative." <laughs>
0: Oh uh, well it depends but, on it depends on what your definition is of an emotionally gripping narrative cuz i think i think i mean the, uh, okay you know uh, what i mean cuz you, uh, you, you maybe but, you mean like yeah, a but, psychologically yeah. complex yes, narrative yes
1: that, that's what i mean yeah. yes right yeah as suppose, to like yeah. i am going to get simultaneously scared and laugh mhm
0: mhm yeah you know I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's there's just a weird there's some weird level of yeah. I just I don't know. I can't I can't pin it down. Like I, I
1: don't
0: I don't find it contradictory. Yeah, all. yeah, I I, uh, I see what you're saying.
1: In the same way, like I don't find it contradictory that the stand is giving you, you know, all of these uh rewarding experiences in a way that Batman isn't.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, is this. It does help that the stand is uh, an artifact, and what's interesting is being able to read it sort of from a distance and critically, and remember things about it, and also come into it with a thesis that I find challenging, and also to revisit it and be like, oh, holy shit, there's stuff here that's really. Really interesting that, that at page 200, you're like, huh, I wonder if, and at page 250, you're like, gee, I wonder if, and then at page 350, you're like, oh, holy shit, yeah, okay, I'm, this is, I'm not being mistaken here. This is really this thing. And in a way, that sort of can be the fun with Batman, you know, or any superhero book. Like, despite all of my complaints and things like that, I don't feel like we're 33 issues into a Batman story that I feel is King telling the Batman story that he wants to tell. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there, there, there's not the, um, maybe I'm missing something, but it's, it's not like, you know, the, it's not like the war of jokes and riddles, uh, spread across um, six Bat Family titles, you know, Sure. T- and then pivoted back in. You know what I mean? Like King's got a level of, um, uh, a no fly, uh, continuity, no fly zone that, that even Snyder wasn't quite really able to get a, away with, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or Morrison in that regard. So there's, there's a way in which I'm like, Oh yeah. Wow. That could, that's, that itself is potentially thrilling and when I see but of course but there is a little bit of it where I like I said I just don't part of it is that kind of like I don't think that what I'm taking from it and what you know what what King wants to say about Batman might not be something that I want to hear but I also just think that oh yeah I think I think that's which, definitely the case well but I also think that there's also just something inherently I won't know until whenever that thing comes out but I think that, um, I also think, I also, it's, King's Batman is, is really one of those times where, like I said, when I'm being generous, it's like, oh yeah, King's not quite able to stick the landing, you know, because he's still relatively new. He's, it's just, there's going to be goofs and gaffs that you're going to find that you just aren't necessarily going to find for someone who's been doing this for like, Eight years or ten years or whatever, but I think there's also, to me, a level of uh, just just stages like in the War of Jokes and Riddles where I'm like, oh right, yeah, I don't, I don't think the king is as smart as he thinks he is. Kind of, which is weird because, of course, it really started from, I'm like, wow, this guy writing Grayson is shitload smarter than I would have ever have thought, you know, kind of deal. Like, now I'm kind of at that level of, see, like... N-
1: now we're finding out that you have a particular level of smart that's okay for Dick Grayson. But not for Bruce Wayne. Uh Yeah. I, 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 right. I have, a, I have a, a question. Sure. Why don't we just stop reading it? And that's uh, not sarcastic. No, 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 like, no, 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 right. I feel, I feel that this comic is frustrating for you. Uh, yeah, sure. It, you know, I, I, it... Or at least not rewarding. And it's, it's... life is too short, Jeff, <laughs> to read shit that's going to uh, frustrate you or or is not being rewarding. Nothing else. Comics are too fucking expensive. Right. Well. Uh... You could save $6 a month by not reading this Batman. Yeah, it's totally true. And however long it takes you. And however much you think about it and get frustrated by
0: it. Well I I think what what helps was for the first chunk of it, I was I was re I was behind the curve. You know what I mean? Like I hadn't really caught up on stuff. Like I was always too like I'm I'm current with Batman. By the time I really started reading it, it was something that because of the the double paced issues, it was like, Oh Jesus, I'm like twelve issues behind or something. Exactly. Third issue, fifteen shit. Yeah. Right, exactly. So by the time I caught up, uh I think the War of Jokes and Riddles is actually a really good reason for why I think I am still reading it. Is is that like I said, I mean Batman actually has a pretty low Page appearance count in the War of Jokes and Riddles. Like he is the narrator and his presence comes in more or less midway through the arc. But the first half of the arc is, you know, Joker, Riddler, Kite Man. You know? Yep. And, and assorted other characters. And I, and I generally, I, I like that stuff fine. You know? Honest, like I said, I, part of me feels that King would, doesn't really want to be writing Batman in his Batman book. And most of the time, the less Batman appears, the more I'm like, oh, this is great. I don't, I think it will turn a point at, because it is a Batman book where it's going to have to have a lot more Batman in it. And then I'll be like, Ugh. but as a, as a general rule of thumb, there are bits and pieces that I liked. You know, quite a lot. Like we, you know, you mentioned the, the Harley Batman fr- free comic book day issue, which is, you yeah. know, Harley cracking on the, the Batman issue that, that follows, which is the first part of the I am Bane storyline. And it's yeah. amazing to me, rereading that was, um, was like the scenes in which Dick and Damien and um Jason Todd are sitting in the the fast food restaurant bickering and arguing and joking with one another where I was like uh, where I really enjoyed it where I'm like I'll read pages and pages of this and then I really do think that um that that final page reveal uh which is basically all of them being hanged with I am Bane written across their stomachs or whatever is, is profoundly bad. Like it's really, like it's, it's, it's kind of shitty and dumb. And which again is that thing of you're kind of, I, I always feel like this is like I'm always going to this spot and you're always like, yes, yes, I agree. I am Bane feels like a misstep. It feels like a misstep in a way that to me is very characteristic because I feel like it's like it is King being like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm really writing a Batman, you know, like <laughs> which is which is horrible the way that I said it, because it actually reminded me of the one time at comics experience. Um, I, I walked in on a comic book creator uh, pissing and he was like, stop it. I'm trying to make an X-Men. Which I thought was like such a hilarious, <laughs> um, you know. Okay,
1: when we're done recording, you're telling me who that was.
0: I I totally will. I totally will tell you. But like that's that's like really fucking funny. Anyway, so yeah, it's it's kind of King's like I'm trying to make a Batman. Uh, you understand why I, I now chortled. But but I really had that thing of like I just. Ugh. So yeah, at some point maybe I'll jump off it. The thing is is that if King were writing a comic called Gotham. You know, where it's like Batman showed up for like three or four pages and the rest of it is kind of everyone's hot takes on Batman from, you know, fucking grow up and get a life already. It it would be great. It would totally be fine. Even this may end up being fine. Like it's the word and it's fucking pretty. I mean, that one of the things that I think is amazing to me, the number of times where I look at comics. Like I, you know way back when people don't actually remember this in fact some of you may not know this but there was a period where i actually wrote for the wait what uh website and uh and one of
1: the it wasn't that long ago
0: <laughs> one of the things that fucking broke me because i was doing a doing a little uh series uh called the sketchbook intermittent which was me writing about characters that i i loved or things that i loved about them um, and, and even my way of like, oh, here's something I love about the character. Or here's something that I feel like has never been explored or here's something that, that really excites me. One of the things that, that broke me was I wanted to write something about Hush. And so I sat down and reread, uh, Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee's Hush, which I had bought all the issues of when it was coming out and, it kind of does sum up this thing of like, how stupid a Batman comic am I willing to read when the art is pretty? Is basically summed up by the words "hush." Anyway, I I just trying to write about that character really did. I it it broke me, but I also found myself being like, huh, I am I'm willing to put up with some pretty stupid shit. So in a way, like I thought Michael Jaden's art in the War of Jokes and Riddles was. Gorgeous! I just really loved. I would. I really. Part of me is like, I. If he if he's back on an arc, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be looking at the book. Even even some of this. Even David Finch, who's not really my cup. You know, part of me is like, "Eh, it's good enough to get me reading. You know, like even some of the stuff where Scott Snyder's Batman, where I was like. Uh, the first half of this arc isn't doing it for me, but holy shit, Capullo, you know, um which is why again, I pick up this stuff where I feel like half of this half of metal reads like in it like like um scott snyder's like you know you know those like scenes in the movies where like a husband takes the wife on like the second honeymoon to recapture the magic. You know, that's been lost, but it's like too late and the, and the, and the wife is just kind of like barely able to stay in the game during it. That's kind of what metal feels like. It's like Scott Snyder being like, Craig, you know, I love you, baby. Here I am, I've crafted a tale that's everything you wanted to do. It's like Batman in Chains. It's like Metal Batman. It's like Batman burning in the heart of the sun. Remember that one time I dropped by your house and I I watched you like... Do those all your fucking kettleball exercises and then you took peyote and you just you just told me the Batman story that you wanted to tell and it was like eighteen hours long and it kinda didn't make any sense and like Batman was God, but he was also like jizzing like cosmic suns out of the ends of his ears. Like, I wrote that. I wrote that for you. And like Greg Capullo's kinda like I um I there's just things I, I I just have regret in my life, Scott. <laughs> There's things I just I just things were things you know, I I've I'll always treasure the time we had together. You know? So I don't know. That's that's how I feel. And it's like three issues in. How how long is metal? It's it's like four issues, right? This is like the penultimate issue, right? It isn't like six no, or it, twelve it's issues, like... right? It's like six issues. Oh yeah. How long is Metallica? Fuck, I'm really. Oh, I aren't. No, I think it's six issues. I I sort of figured.
1: Um, come on. The internet refuses to tell me which is, and of itself, (laughs) a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I. No one in the internet knows. Oh, are you, serious? are you serious? Yeah. I thought
0: your internet was just being slow. Like they're literally no one it. No, ever really? Said. I, I can't, I
1: can't find how <laughs> <that one>. long. <laughs> <But, laughs> I just love the idea that DC is like, I uh I would say it's like six or eight issues.
0: Oh my God. Eight issues. Oof. Uh, uh, hang on. Maybe and it's I'm just now... because I kind of feel like the fact that like, like Snyder what? Six, it's six. Years. Oh, okay, thank God. Because it was really that thing of, like, Snyder being like, i got to get to Final Crisis 5 by Metal 3, you know? Like, I don't know what his crazy math is. So that way, like, you know, because there is a little bit of his being like, oh, yeah, it's going to be Final Crisis turned up to 11, you know, kind of deal. Like, if I can get to Final Crisis 6 by Metal 4, then I could get the Batman R.I.P. by issue 5 and then issue 6... He's like, it's my whole new weird zone, which is gonna be beautiful, you know? Just the way Scott described it in his trip. Or Greg described it in his trip. <laughs> anyway.
1: Oh, man. Uh, this, this one is, this one went weird, like, just towards the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess it seemed pretty conventional right up to the end there, but, well, again, there's just, the sad part is all that stuff is, it's all weirdly, um It all feels kind of weirdly organic. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Which in and of itself is a worrying sign.
0: Right, exactly. Yes. Did Jeff listen to the paranoia pill or is it the paranoid pill? I guess it's the paranoid pill. It's the paranoid pill, Yeah. 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 Jack Kirby. He knew how to write. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise, kids. Uh yeah, Whoever that is, is not going to be on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, I just, it's uh, such, such the, like, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I apologize everyone for playing to the crowd, and which is great, because I really should be apologizing to you, Graham, but uh, just the fact that I'm, like, saying, I'm sorry, everyone, for playing to the crowd is such the playing to the crowd statement. It's kind of.
1: <laughs> We're getting nerdy meta, Jeff. We're yeah, exactly. Meta. Exactly. So. Dark Knight's meta. Oh.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's that thing. That that was kind of what, again, Snyder did that in, like, issue one. He's like, it's meta. Metal. Metal. Like, metahumans are really supposed to be. Meta. Metal. Metal. Metal." I still don't even. Oof. Graham, are, are, do you have closing comments? Should I talk about some of the other stuff that I read and liked or didn't like or in a very short, quick, fast manner? Because I, I feel like there's not, on the one hand, a lot of it, and on the other hand, I feel like I, I don't have much to say about it. So I'm yeah, like, yeah, I, I'll be I, fine.
1: I have, honestly, uh, because of Comic-Con, I have read the extent of my comic reading mm-hmm. in the past couple of weeks. really is like Mr. Miracle Issue 3. <laughs> uh, and then parts of Marvel Two and One presents a thing Essential Volume Two, Ooh. and uh, Judge Case book four. Nice. I bought at the show? That's nice. That's it, though, Jeff. So I can't bring anything. Wait a minute. I can't bring a
0: cat to this knife fight. So the Marvel Two and One Volume Two, you? It, it's not the co- it's not the copy that I bought you digitally, Graham.
1: No, it's the essential copy. No, you got me the thing which is in volume one of the essentials. Oh,
0: right. Yeah, it's the, sorry. I, you misspoke. I thought, I thought you meant masterworks instead of essentials, but you really do mean mean volume two of the essentials. So therefore it's like,
1: I mean, I mean volume two, which is like, you know, uh, 30 something through 50 something.
0: Right. Exactly. Which is,
1: which is, I do uh, volume two of the masterworks, which is like, it's, oh, God. It's, it's, it's re- really, it's, awesome. really
0: the, it's lame. It's like issue 11 through issue 20, maybe. Like, it's. Yeah, pretty, right, it is. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. It's, it's super, but no, cause I'm, it made me, super, like, you were the reason I bought, fucking bought this comic. Yet. Oh, okay. I feel a little bit
0: better. My goodness. So.
1: <laughs> you were a little sad, I could tell. You were like, oh, not, not the, not, not the, the, the one I got. You? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but really, like, but, but, you know, I have read almost fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm terrible So no Jeff, tell us what you've read and whether you like it
0: Uh, uh, Bug, The Adventures of Forger Issues 3 and Issue 4 You would think after the miracle, Mr. Miracle stuff I'd be like, oh I'm totally into this It's the fun light frothy No,
1: it's it's Lee Allred Who you have such problems with
0: Yeah, Lee Allred is is a Is a little bit of the The like, oh he's so close To what I want, the fact that he misses it leaves me it's blistered. worse yeah exactly you shouldn't have even so tried close Lee Allred.
1: Are you re- like we've because we didn't we have this conversation about issue one or yeah. did we do this like when you were in town and maybe we didn't record it
0: i feel like we talked about it on
1: leo leo ritz i know Lee ritz it actually angers you <laughs> <laughs>
2: I didn't know it got quite so to close. The point
1: of level. Yeah, it, exactly. It's like, oh, you, you no, no. We be. we really did have this conversation at some point. Okay. That basically it was, he's so close, mm-hmm. but that he doesn't get there. Somehow makes it
0: worse. Yeah, that is definitely true. Uh, Punisher: of The Platoon, Issue One. Garth Ennis, Goran Parlov. It's the book that I will never make Graham read, but um, uh, but I oh, really enjoyed it. I have it. to
1: tell you, super. Super quickly. So Marvel and Netflix pulled the Punisher TV panel. Right. At at New York Comic Con. But then the next big thing panel talked up Punisher Platoon and the Punisher, uh, like his War Machine Armor comic. Like there's no fucking tomorrow. Yeah. So now you know Marvel TV doesn't want to talk about the Punisher because it's insensitive. Marvel Publishing will fucking happily talk about it.
0: Oh yeah. Like nobody's business. Like nobody's a business. Uh, Walking Dead issue one seventy two. I continue to read Walking Dead. <sighs> what is wrong with me? Suicide Squad number twenty seven. No, wait, no. is wait, 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 Last time we talked
1: about Walking Dead, you were feeling up on that book,
0: I, and I still am. Actually, I read issue one seventy two. So why? And, so
1: why are you? Saying, oh, I was like, just I, I was
0: why, I, 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 I was I was actually kidding in the sense of like I kind of don't have anything to say about it. So it's just kind of that thing of like I'm kind of feel like that's the default. Although again. When I do the stand podcast, it's solo cast, it's going to be pretty hard not to talk about the walking dead. Cause it oh, is no shit. Yeah. Right. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that commandy challenge. We, the death stroke defiance issue 24 down with it. Platinum end, uh, chapter 24. I've really liked the last four or five chapters of this. This is the Oba. Obata, um started off being like, here's my, our, our, our attempt, super cynical attempt to out Death Note Death Note by turning it into a superhero series. And weirdly, the last four or five, uh, um, episodes have really worked for me. Now that they're down to, here's the superhero fight and the supervillain fight where the supervillain and the superhero are facing off and And it is that classic, like you don't see how, like all the odds are against him. How is he ever going to be able to, to stand a chance against the bad guy? And yet he does is kind of is, is been weirdly surprising, which is great. Cause I have to say like, if anyone asks me if they should read Platinum End, I, I'm still kind of on the edge of like, no, you probably should not. So, uh, Rocket, issue six, uh, came out, was the conclusion to the, uh, uh, first storyline. I loved issue five. It's the conclusion to the series, isn't it? Oh shit, are they not doing the next issue? I thought that they were. Did, did Rocket just not sell I, so I much? Ho- they, they...
1: I honestly thought Rocket was done.
0: Oh, well that would make sense, cause it really does get to, uh, Last like the end, and then there's no letters page or something like that. I thought they just ran yeah, wrong. Yeah, no, it's. I, no, I'm pretty sure it's done. Oh well, that's a shame because there's so much fun stuff that was done in it, and I don't really feel like six nailed it. But I was like, ah, he'll do better next time <laughs> on whatever no, it' what happened to be exactly. Um, uh, I should mention I finally caved. Uh, cave slash whatever block was preventing me from buying, in some cases I think it was a literal problem with comixology, uh, volume one of Delicious in Dungeon by, uh, Ryoko Ki. It's, uh, a manga about a bunch of dungeon adventurers who have to fight their way back to the level of the dungeon that they were previously in where a dragon defeated them and ate one of their companions. They need to get to that level of the dungeon before she is digested so they can uh, use a magic spell to resurrect her. But they have no supplies. What can they do? They're going to eat their way through the dungeon by basically cooking, catching and cooking the monsters that they fight in the dungeon. It's... Really good. Like, I know Graham, you're not a Dungeons and Dragons guy. For people who are, if you basically wanted, like, what would have, if you, if you dream about, like, the return of the Dragon magazine and the comic section in the back, this would be the perfect comic for it. It's clearly written by someone who's fluent in Dungeons and Dragons, but also knows how to make a really good cooking comic like um i had mentioned to you uh tobiko uh which i believe is still running in shonen jump weekly which is a monster hunter cooking comic where it's basically super powered food wars and things um it it was fun but it was always so um deeply whimsical where it was kind of like, you know, it got to the point where I think it probably even started from the point where readers got to submit the monsters that Tobiko had to fight and then eat. And so there was um so, you know, I didn't think I was kind of like, oh, this is this is interesting and fun and clever, but it's also kind of not what I want from a cooking manga. The thing that which is kind of like, oh, it makes sense. You can't have a cooking manga with imaginary creatures because, you know, that doesn't really make any sense until Delicious and Dungeon comes along where he basically has people. It's like, oh, here's how you eat. One of the best chapters, and I'm not very far into it, but one of the best chapters is they fight a cockatrice, which, you know, is a classic mythological beast that's sort of half chicken, half snake, basically with poisoned uh claws and... um The way they defeat it and then, because they end up hooking up with a dwarf who's, who knows all the secrets of dungeon cooking, who explains to them like, oh, yeah, you gotta season this with like slime and, you know, uh, mushroom molds, uh, but basically like cuts the cockatrice up, then plucks it, then like stuffs it full of seasonings and, and literally has a recipe for it. It's profoundly, um, insane, but really works, uh, Similarly on the uh flip side r- very similar side Golden Kamuy uh volume 2 I loved volume 1 volume 2 is also excellent the only reason why I'm not done with it yet is cuz I started I forgot I had it and started reading it this afternoon and was loving it it's the uh, adventures of a Rush Russian Soldier God, I'm going to really screw up because they really talk about how he um falls in with a guide who is part of the it, oh, Jesus it's going to be it's going to suck it's not the inuits um shit 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 shit, shit, shit. it's one of those classic like your uh, the Ainu A I N U um which is this uh, really amazing um, indigenous, uh, people, uh, this 11 year old, or I don't know, maybe she's a 13 year old girl who's a hunter, uh, ends up joining forces with this, uh, soldier. They're out in search of, um, basically, a a golden treasure out in the, the wilds of Siberia and, and, and ending up fighting like, Evil criminals and super capable Russian units while also barely being able to survive in this incredibly hostile environment. And it's filled with so much amazing information about the Ainu culture that it is like the most, it's, it's, it's basically like it, if this were like paperback fiction, it would, it would be a top 10 New York Times bestseller because it is that classic mix of you're learning something while having rousing adventure stuff happen. It's really terrific, and also has some amazing food recipes in it. So it's it's, a, it's good stuff. So yeah, not so down with the Batman, kind of down with the manga. That's the Jeff Lester report. I have a really strange question to ask. Mm-hmm. If Batman could have Cookies. was a cookie manga, I would be so into that, Graham. I can't even tell you. Well that would be awesome. I think we can both agree that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be great.
1: I've known you for years, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know the answer to this question.
0: Do you like to cook? Uh no. No. Um no. Which because is... you keep on talking about cook cooking
1: manga. Right. And I, I like I always wonder like, do you do that because you like to cook? Is is that something that is
0: You know, it 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 always makes me be like, God damn! I've got to cook. I've got I've got to get into this. I've got to cook. There's a weird level of um, um, of stuff that I'm attracted. I mean, it's almost like superheroes. I don't like jumping off rooftops and punching people either. You know what I mean? Like, uh, in fact, I'm really. It's it's kind of when I was reading uh, all this sniper fiction, and in you know. Trying, trying to take a turn at it myself. There's a little bit of the... You're attracted to the Listeners, things that you Jeff can't do. Did take a, Jeff did have a go at it, and it's really
1: good, and one day Jeff should just like let other people read it because it's really fucking good
0: keep going (laughs) thank you Uh, I'm serious no I I know I know know. yeah yeah no I I'm with you it's 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 that's a whole nother realm that people don't necessarily need to hear about for various frustrating reasons but thank you Graham Uh, yeah so I think there's a level of your I'm a, a level of attraction to things that you You will never be good at, you know what I mean? Like there, there is that thing of like, maybe one day I really will be, I'll start cooking and I'll learn how to do it and I'll be really good. But every time that I've tried, I, I have that uncomfortable mixture of lazy and impatient and not detail oriented enough to where I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a good cook at all, you know? But I love cooking manga because, because honestly, most cooks are like Batman to me. Like, they seem kind of impossible. And again, like, you know, the sniper stuff. The idea that you have somebody who's so single-minded and focused about what they do, and it is so pared down to this basic form of almost elemental concentration... I think I'm attracted to because I'm a, cause I'm a dithering spaz. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, think if I was the other way, it'd be, which would be awesome if like, you know, the snipers walk in off the battlefield and they sit down and are like, can't wait to read this Wooster and Jeeves book, you know? Like, that would be the best. I don't think it happens, but it would be the best. We can but hope. Indeed, right? Uh, I have I'm to- I
1: just, I, I- you know, I ask because cooking manga is intently interactive in a way that Superior Comic isn't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, Superior Comic does not stop in the middle of a fight scene to give you a how-to, like, punch a guy like Daredevil. <laughs> it would be great if it did. Right. I fondly remember my honked canyols from when I was a kid giving uh, exercise tips. I shit you not.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Uh, Oh, so good! It was so good because it was like, "Here's how to do a sit-up." Hulk's trying to do a sit-up, but it needs needs a submariner to hold his feet down. Yeah, I mean, they the, were great.
0: Yeah, so they pulled excerpts from that Marvel exercise workout book and stuck them in those annuals, huh? The the Brit people were geniuses. Maybe I. I've,
1: I've seen that page. Like it was. Yeah. well no yeah but i feel like it, it might they might have redrawn it i guess is what i'm saying because i feel oh, like I it was it was like you know uh like artists like jerry paris who did stuff for the british comics mm. doing oh, okay uh but yeah like it was the same but it was the same thing and but they put it like you know here's an actual you know an american hulk annual but it's hardcover and it'll have you know a text story in addition and also these exercise pages
0: right right yeah which is lovely that is great yeah no i mean there there is something where i feel um manga has a strong element of educational comics to it and and educational comics are used to be like a huge backbone to the comic publishing market you know what i mean so it always feels I, incredibly funny. natural to me
1: hmm? but you look at something like First second which does straight up educational comics and they feel manga
2: influenced now does
1: mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. this weird thing, we are like, you know, this used to exist in the western industry as well. Very much. And so. fell out mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. that now when it gets brought back in, it's influenced by manga as opposed to by the stuff that came in this country decades ago. Cause yeah. no one remembers that shit anymore. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I mean, you and I both know that like one of the, like Eisner did the spirit he left and went into the army during World War II and drew like educational comics. Yes, yeah, yeah, you know. So and, and uh,
1: the the collection of that is really, really fucking good.
0: I would love Was to it uh, uh, Did they did it's they really collect that? Good. Oh, I didn't realize. Yes. Oh, yeah, shit. There's, there's like a collection of all that shit. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see that. That would be awesome. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm really I guess part of it is is kind of like f- Food manga is the most entertaining form of educational manga, but like, you know, I tried my hand at some of the soft starch press books where it was, uh, you know, manga, um, statistical analysis and manga for, you know, it's just, it, it, it's really amazing to see that stuff happen. I, for whatever reason, mm. I could not get very far into the statistical analysis book, but that's, that's cause of my... Because it's statistical analysis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, <laughs> I kind of need a little more guidance than this. This is clearly a supplemental text. Graham McMillan. Is it, uh, is yeah, it time?
1: Sir, should we start wrapping things up? Like I... we're, we're over two and a half hours. So we, we are. should probably start wrapping. Up. Yeah, I think so. I think so. This therefore is when I say that there will be show notes. <laughs> For this podcast, up on Jeff, do you want to say Monday? Do you want to say Sunday? When do you want to say?
0: I, 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 I don't know. I, well, uh, everyone should, I, because I'm doing a much more abbreviated version of show notes than I used to do, I think it seems safe to say that they will be up by Sunday night. Um, but uh, I
1: should say, if this is Monday, go and check and the show notes will be there. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. They'll be at com, which will also, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, have me writing about before Watchmen for a while, and then ultimately Watchmen. And also, this Wednesday, has a Matt Terrell piece. That's right. There's a shit ton of new content on com this week, and I'm really excited about that. (laughs) Um, I really am. This week, also, I'm going to get back to doing the Tumblr, because I'm no longer completely dying of the flu. Um, so, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com dot com will feature new content as of Monday. Thank you very much for those who had patience with me while I was a at New York Comic Con and be sick.
2: Sick.
0: Uh,
1: um, we are uh, on uh, Twitter at Weight uh, Jeff is on Twitter at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I am on Twitter at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supported
0: podcast.
1: Jeffrey Lester, I said the magic word Patreon. You have to spring into action right now.
0: <laughs> My lithe, rippling, lean form caught in the moonlight. I am here to tell you about Patreon, which is a wonderful place where wonder people, wonderful people gather and, uh, throw a little bit of, uh, fiscal support. Behind uh, creators that they appreciate, and um, they he are... said fiscal, not physical. I know it sounded like physical. He did say physical, especially fiscal. with my light, lean form. Uh, yeah, fiscal. <laughs> uh, a bit of fiscal support, which is which is very wonderful and and much appreciated, and uh, inspires us to new heights. Why, in fact, the Baxter Building the um our monthly reading of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four arose directly out of uh supporters uh hitting a stretch level and inspiring us nay um us i don't think that's the right verb to create uh an extra podcast so we're super super grateful to all of our listeners of course uh but the people on Patreon that kind of, um, help make us feel special, including the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we're especially super happy for their continuing support of this podcast. And it says something sad about me, or, uh, that I can't even really joke about Galactic Calamity, because frankly, there's still have a few months left in the year. Recently. Exactly, exactly. 2017's not done yet. I can't really even begin to rule it out, Graham.
1: I'm, I'm just done. People, we're going to be back. I think we're back next week. Are we back to a weekly schedule, Jeff? We, I, we have haven't even planned this. Oh, that like, is true. We stopped, we stopped planning because of uh, New York Comic Con and because I basically was like, "Let me get through the show." <laughs> we are we are i i I wish we were joking
0: that's pretty much how we how we left it we are back next week it's interesting because that would be a baxter building and then we're supposed to be back the week after that but that's going to involve us doing some different e type things because it's my the weekend of my birthday and i'm gonna be out of town
1: oh yeah i look forward to working out how we're gonna do that yeah exactly but we'll figure out a way. Everyone, it's Jeff's we'll birthday really soon. So start planning your Jeffmas gifts. Uh, <laughs> and we, we will, we'll work out somewhere that you can send them to Jeff without giving away like Jeff's home. <laughs> um, I don't, don't forget everyone, uh, the true meaning of Halloween is celebrating the birth of Jeff Lester.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Which is, which is why we all do it, um, uh, obsessed with death. So, uh. <laughs>
1: wow, that guitar. Uh, we're we're back next week. We're going to be reading Fantastic Four issues, and I honestly can't remember what we're reading.
0: Oh, it's well because we we went through God. What did we get through? Jesus, oh 30,
1: no. we're, we're we're doing 304 through three fourteen, maybe.
0: Uh. Just read those
1: issues, read ten issues, and then we'll we'll that'll be fine. <laughs> We're definitely starting with 304, and I want to say we're doing like 10 issues.
0: That sounds, that sounds right. Let's, let's say that. Oh, cause I think you had a, wait, do you want to double check? It'll be in our show notes, cause I feel like you were like 314, you're like, no, 315, cause it's a, it's a continued issue. You say,
1: you say it'll be in the show notes. I know from writing those show notes, that is not always true. Well, that's... I know that I always wish it was true. Sometimes I just don't write what the next issue is going to be. 304 to 313. There you go. Oh, there we go. Off we go. 304 then. to 313. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Anyway, that's next week, which means that Jeff and I have to read some fucking Potessor Comics this week, because I know that I haven't, and I
0: would leave money that Jeff hasn't oh, oh, yeah, that is the easiest money you would ever be able to collect, my friend. Yeah.
1: Nope. I don't want to collect that money it can go towards Jeff Mus Jeff 27th to beat October 31st we're all getting Jeff gifts <laughs> we we'll back to the week thank you very much always for listening
2: bye beautiful beautiful